Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Clippy Point. My name is Captain Ben, along with Mister. Oh, oh, Paul! Hey, <laughs> along with Tim Murphy. Oh, okay. Going I should be uh, the almost awkward thing to do. What are you yeah. talking about? You've been doing this for like at I least know, two years still, now. It's still really awkward. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, well. I guess. All right. Well, in this case, um, before if we get started to the main show, just want to make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we got word that we are going to be at the uh, Drift Sessions is going to be at the NMRA event happening at or- Orlando Speed World. The hell was that? Yeah. yeah. Well, more information will come out. <laughs> okay. But we have been uh, tapped to uh, be the announcers for oh, really? the uh, Drift Demonstration. Mm-hmm. Drift oh. Invitational. Yeah. Oh, drift, drift Invitational. Yes, yes, yes. Drift Invitational. NMRA. What? NMRA. National Mustang. Oh my God. International Where's Race Noel? Association. Oh my God. His heart's yeah. breaking right now. I know. I know. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Noel's like whole... rolling over in his grave yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely uh, a. <laughs> well, how come you guys be... never tell me these things? We're telling you now. Yeah, but why do I only find out when I'm here? I don't know. It's like you guys are a couple, and like I, I'm just not a part of this couple, and I just don't feel loved <laughs> don't anymore. Feel surprise! Surprise! Oh, okay. We want to see your surprise because it wasn't it wasn't guaranteed hey. until. That's what you guys always say, though. We didn't want to tell you because we didn't want to break your heart. Like, <laughs> well, what? we told you about. I'm not going. even going, so I don't even know why you can go. It's in Orlando. I know we'll go probably, but anyways. Anyways, yeah. Okay, you want to so, do it? Do what? Do do it. Are we doing any other announcements? The, no, no, that's it. Okay, oh. so our special guest tonight coming to us live. Are we doing Skype? Is it Skype or Zoom? Uh, Skype. Skype. Okay, Skyping all the way from the uh, the Great White North. Well, not really the Great White North, <laughs> North, but in Florida, the Great White North. <laughs> we got Mr. Ryan Acevedo, some known as Ryan Avocado. You have applause? Oh, yeah, right here. Uh, no. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> applause is oh, broken. Oh, yeah, all right, all right. The applause machine is broken. We'll get that taken care of. Ryan, Ryan, how you doing? Good, man. How about yourself, man? Happy to be on the show. Doing well, doing well. You know, we are a little heartbroken because we're not going to see you as often as we're used to seeing you because Clutch Kicker is not going um, doing this year. The, yeah, this yeah. year they, they canceled our season, so it kind of sucks. We're not going to see a lot of you guys as often, but hopefully we'll see you. Uh, are you I don't know if you're going to make your way over to Orlando Speed World uh, for that. It's all Mustangs, though. But Chelsea and Vaughn will be there. It's all Mustangs. I saw that. Yeah. So maybe maybe come through and hang out a little bit. So what do you what have you been up to now? Now that you found out clutch kickers isn't going down, what are you doing with all your spare time? Yeah. So so on the spare time, we're pretty. I mean, pops and I both work. I work part time, and then the rest of the time, I'm in class uh, in college. So we're both kind of Monday through Friday grinding out work, grinding out school, and then come Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's grind time on the car. We're trying to get the car ready uh, the best we can so it can kind of just be a really competitive year for us. We're trying to take things a little bit more serious this year. Not that we weren't taking it serious before. Um, we're just a budget father-son program uh, mm-hmm. building the car in a garage. So, you know, we can only do things uh, step by step as we can. So just kind of getting that ready. Uh, hopefully building a lot more stout car for mm-hmm. the Pro-Am this year. So. Okay. So you're, so I didn't know that you're – I mean, I met your dad, right, because we go to the events and everything. But um, does your dad have any history in racing or motorsports? 
So Papa Vito actually has zero experience in any form of like motorsports okay. or racing or anything. Uh, he's kind of spent like the last, tw- he's always been like a mechanic wrenching on cars and whatnot okay. growing up. Uh, started out in Texas, you know, just being a dumb kid slinging around old old Chevy trucks out in the eighties in and whatnot. But uh, once he got here in Jacksonville in the nineties and stuff, he kind of started nice. early two thousands doing like a tune port stuff, which is like the early like pre predecessor LS stuff. Um, and the old IROCs and stuff and whatnot. But he's kind of always just built like little hot rods um, on the side, like old Camaros, old trucks, but never anything like motorsport spec or for the purpose of being like abused on track and up to like a certain spec, just kind of like streetcar hot rod stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but he has, is he the one that taught you how to work on cars, like to start getting into auto cars or is that something that you kind of found on your own? Yeah. So I would, is it definitely was more so on my own because he definitely wanted one of the kids to be into cars and I was the youngest and I was the last hope and I had no interest in cars hmm. literally until I was probably about 14 years old. Uh, once I discovered drifting on like video games and YouTube and stuff and like saw people doing it, then I was like, hey, dad, uh, I kind of want to get into this like crazy thing that you're not going to understand, <laughs> but it's really cool. and We should do it. <laughs> right. Nice. OK, so so I didn't know how many. um Brothers and sisters, you said you have how many siblings? I we have a big family, so I have three sisters and technically two brothers. Um, but yeah, so it's a pretty big family. Nice. Oh wow, that's wild. You don't you don't you don't really see that too often anymore. It's like no, Mike, because your dad is probably close to my age. I I assume right, probably close to. What fifty ish? He, he was born in sixty two. Oh, so. so, you know, he's definitely older. Well, he's yeah. he's a little older. I was definitely a late child. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that's cool. So growing up with being the youngest and being the only one you said that's in the cars that got into racing. Yeah. No one else got into cars. Wow. Just me. <laughs> wow. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I'm sure he's happy, right? Cause he, every time we go there, he looks like he's having a good time with you. Oh, he's having a great time. We, uh, it's like, it, it kind of drew us a lot closer than we ever really were. I think growing up, I was definitely a lot more attached to my mom um, and whatnot. But then as I kind of started getting older and doing more, you know, like dad style activities, car stuff, wrenching, you know, getting dirty. That's when we kind of started clicking, especially like once we started doing the drifting stuff that kind of like really, really brought me and my dad together. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever have any uh, like awkward family Thanksgivings where your dad's bragging about you and like how the everything's going and kind of just sitting there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing everybody's like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> you have to explain to a bunch of people that have no idea what it is. Does that happen? You know what? Not really. No, okay. Dad and I try and remain like super humble okay. about anything we kind of do in drifting and whatnot. And I don't really like to talk about it with people because I don't like being that like awkward guy where I'm kind of like explaining things and like telling people like, yeah, I do this. It's like kind of serious, kind of not. <laughs> like, but we try and just keep it pretty chill and humble. Like, you know, my family knows like what we're doing and whatnot, but we don't like go around talking about it to like random family friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. My mom is definitely a lot more on that side. Uh, mm-hmm. but me and my dad kind of just like keep hush hush into ourselves. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Okay. So let's, um, let's kind of rewind a little bit. You said you're the first one in your family to get into any type of motor sports. And we were talking a little bit before we started the show, how you were heavy into gaming and then you kind of got into the car scene. Did you, fall in love with drifting right away or did you start going like drag racing was there any progression and have you well how how did you even like why drifting how did it even happen how, how out of all the other different car motorsports why drifting, why drifting? 
How did it happen? Yeah, that. Yeah, so it really kind of just like fell into place. Honestly, it was one of those things where like I was in middle school and I feel like when you're in middle school, you start to kind of you start thinking about, oh, like, what's my first car going to be if you like kind of start to develop an interest in cars. And I kind of like always loved JDM stuff once I started getting an interest in cars, but I didn't like think anything motorsports wise. Right. I just wanted like a cool S chassis or something as like a high school car. And then I just stumbled upon it on YouTube. And I think actually, if I recall correctly, I stumbled across video game drifting, like Slap Train playing Forza, a couple other guys playing a Seto, like in the infancy infancy of like sim drifting on a Seto. Mm-hmm. I saw that and then like realized it was like a real, real thing that like people are doing and getting into. And I was like, this is crazy. I want to do this. How do we make this happen? Right. And so... You drive a 350Z, and is that what that was? I'm assuming that was your first drift car. Yeah, it wasn't intentionally the first drift car. Pops and I had built um, a little S14 with a SR swap that we did, just him and I mm-hmm. uh, and my uncle. We built a little, yeah, we built a little S14 with a S13 red top. It's full interior, absolutely mint chassis. Mm. Dad's like a stickler about building hot rods, like I said, so it had. The whole nine yards, like working ice cold AC, like right. it was like the creme de la crop, like streetcar. Mm. Um, and then I accidentally blew it up behind some buildings years ago. <laughs> um, and long story short, I put the car up for trade. And Mr. Rualdo from uh, Rice and Bean Shenanigans, Rualdo Garcia, mm. he hit me up and was like, hey, I have the Z because uh, I posted that I wanted like something to just get on track with seat time. Right. And he was like, I would love, you know, the 240 shell with some cash on top. And, you know, the rest is history. Now we got a Z. There you go. Mm. So you are actually like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for the most part, you are a product of the Clutch Kickers. Right, because you were drifting and you were drifting at OSW, right? Or where were you? Where did you start? Your where did you do your first event? My first event was at OSW. Okay. It was Spring Break Bash 2019. Mm-hmm. But then you Clutch Kickers is like really what seemed like brought that um, competitive, competitive spirit out of you, and you went from look like pretty quickly, right? Because I that's where at least where I know you from. Maybe that's because that's where we met. And that's where I've seen you go from, you know, the, this this grassroots kid that's just learning how to drift and just start progressing very quickly. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? so a little bit interesting about that actually is it's kind of actually the opposite uh, okay. from that. When I first like saw drifting in real life and started discovering like real real drifting. All I cared about and watched was FD. I've never like been a big guy on like style, like, you know, like, like not that it's, it's bad or anything, yeah. but I like gravitated towards like competitive driving. My favorite thing was FD. I mean, I remember being like literally 12 and 13 years old watching Pat, like his first few years of mm-hmm. like FD pro on. And I'm like, that is the dude from Florida. I want to be that one day. Right. So once we started drifting, the, the entire end goal since day one has and always will be like to make it to the highest level of drifting. It was like that was set from the get go. I just think Clutch Kickers finally was the first thing that really was like, this is something with what my what I kind of think I can do at the time driving wise and how the series and track is going to be. It was something that felt like we could actually give it a shot. And it was something that was like attainable and at least able to just go out there and get experience in competition. Yeah. And it seemed like that's where it kind of, uh, helped you to it, it will put you in in um, an arena where you can rub shoulders with people like Pat Gooden um, or like Kevin Lawrence and 
uh, Alec Hunterdale and all these guys that have been killing it in, in the FD world. And now here, Clutch Kickers gave, gave you a, like a place to sharpen your skills. Really an anomaly. And it and Clutch Kickers, it really is a shame that they are not doing the season. But it, now seeing all these high payouts, now you're starting to see these different events and these different organizers with money that you've never seen before Clutch Kickers. What? No, I just oh. wanted to add that. Oh, go ahead. Um, it's interesting. Some people, the route that some people take, uh-huh. like some people would kind of like tip their toes on wanting to get into uh, competitions mm-hmm. and probably go local and then progress over to like more competitions yeah. like out of state mm-hmm. and try to game. It could build that experience. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed like with Clutch Kickers and some of the other people, they're like, well, let me just throw myself into the lines then. Let me just dive right in mm-hmm. and see what I have. And I think for many, it worked out because they were actually able to pick up all these abilities and skills much more quickly if they were to go about it in a different way. And I think to, you know, to, you know, the question that comes to mind that I want to ask to Ryan is that, did you have any sort of uh, doubt or reservations in regards to jumping yourself into a competition like Clutch Seekers? Or did you consider maybe just doing some local events? Because there are moments where people, they're like, they'll do events, the local events, they'll win, they'll win, and then they'll sort of get tired of it. And they're like, they'll want to push themselves and see what else is out there. So I just want to kind of know where uh, did your journey take you, Ryan? Yeah, for sure. Um, so when I first started, like after a year of driving at OSW, there really wasn't any comp stuff going on in like real Southeast United States, not even really any grassroots level comps that were within like a five hour vicinity of, you know, our drive from Jacksonville. So clutch kickers kind of was that first, like kind of door that was halfway open. That was like, Hey, here's something that you can use to get your foot in the water. And when we originally like talked about it, when I was like, Hey dad, uh, my buddy Nick Rod, uh, he drives like a Purple E36. He was like, I think you should go out there and get the experience because I was wanting to do Pro-Am the year after or at least just give it a shot, you know, like whatever happens, happens. But Clutch Kickers was this thing where it's like, hey, we can drive five hours away and do a whole season of like what was advertised and what ended up being like a true equalizer of grassroots mm-hmm. and like pro-level competitive driving all in one. And then I think it just ended up becoming like, the holy baby of competitive drifting because it was this thing at the old track where it was like my, me and my one year of experience mm-hmm. in a 250 horsepower Z not even struggling to keep up with like an FD car at that like tiny, you know, te- right. technical track. Yeah. It was really like such a unique thing. And even like have driven probably like five plus tracks now in the Southeast United States, mm-hmm. nothing has ever really compared to it in terms of like equalizer, every track, you know, that I drive, I feel like we're trying to keep up with other cars. We're trying to add a group into the car. We're like, Oh, we need to remove weight, add power. We're trying to do so much just to keep up. But it's like that track was a true equalizer. Like it just felt like you didn't have to change your car. You just kind of had to go out there and drive and how you did was how you did. And where you put yourself on the track was where you put yourself on the track. Yeah. Now, did you have any experience watching FD drivers and like pick crew? Did did you ever help out with any of the pick crew at FD? No, 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 definitely not. I have no experience like crewing for any teams or anything. I was going to spot for one like a couple years ago, but after I'd already started competing, but didn't have any crewing experience or didn't really have a full grasp on what it really took to run like a serious competitive program and mm-hmm. the kind of like team and amount of guys you got to have dedicated to a certain thing. And that's something that this year I think we've really learned firsthand. I don't even think we really had a full grasp on it going into the 2022 season. I think that was more so something that came out of balancing both clutch kickers and the pro am. Yeah. Now, aside from uh, 
learning, not learning how to drive, but keeping seat time and improving yourself as a driver. Uh, what are some of the struggles that you've had to, uh, or maybe some lessons that you've learned the hard way uh, from the time you started competing at Clutch Kickers to now? Oof. So definitely is like having, well, this doesn't really apply to early clutch kickers, but it definitely applies to like current and last season clutch kickers because it really expanded and grew so much in terms of competitiveness and seriousness. Uh, clutch kickers this year, I don't really know if anybody expected it to be like this, but it really just ended up being like a baby FD, mm-hmm. like huge track, a lot of tire, a lot of car, a mm-hmm. lot of very serious programs pulling up and double decker, you know, <laughs> stacker trailers with yeah. 10 man teams. I mean, these got more these guys got more tires in the weekend than some of some guys have for the whole season. Right. Um, and like when you run, you know, at that level and that kind of team and track, you got to have things like. Uh, like a, a, a substantial amount of spares for the car. You got to make sure that you like have everybody to do the right stuff. And I think not really having the spares was really the hardest lesson learned because obviously at round two, I think it was, we had that mechanical failure, mm-hmm. uh, which set me into the wall. I didn't mm-hmm. have any power steering, lost right. the belt. I was kind of just like stuck driving up, hit the wall. Although I got like pulled off an ambulance and probably wouldn't have really made this competition timeout because of the severity of the damage it was one of those things where we had a lot of people that were really willing to help and wrench on the car in that 10 minute time span that wasn't even a part of our team. And we just simply didn't even have remotely an extra wise fab kit. I mean, Steve Bergstrom was literally asking my dad what he needed to rip off of his car in five minutes, wise fab wise to get my car back on track. And that's something where we were like, wow, we need to have like our stuff together in terms of having extra parts and being able to essentially, you really need to be able to rebuild a car at the track mm-hmm. uh, when it really comes down to it at that kind of level of drifting. So yeah, that was like the biggest lesson learned was make sure you have your program in check car and team wise. Hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, cause you mentioned that you started off with the 250 horsepower G50Z. And then at some point you transitioned over to the LSA power plant what sort of uh what was your thought process going with it because you've seen people that either go with a jay-z or some other sort of power plan or upgrade the vq at some point uh somehow and i I would imagine that a lot of thought and care put went into deciding what you were going to upgrade onto your vehicle and perhaps share with us uh some of that thoughts because i'm sure there's many people out there that kind of go through the same process where mm-hmm. it's like, do I need to do something else to improve myself as a driver or, yeah. or have I reached the limit of what I can do with this vehicle? Mm-hmm. And do I need to now step mm-hmm. it up so, so yeah. that way I could be more competitive? So yeah, what guided you to make the choice for the go to LS? Yeah. So the first thing that really got us to even make the step to change the engine in general, uh, really it was uncle Pat, Pat Gooden. Uncle um, Pat. Uncle, uncle Pat. Pat. Uncle Pat. Pat. Whoa, wait, hold on a second. <laughs> I, like um, I got to change his uh, phone number. Was... Well, uncle Pat. Uh, yeah, no there, more, uh, no more, no more Pat Gooden. It's, it's uncle Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Done. All right. Sorry, Sorry about sorry that. About go, that. Go, go back, right? No, no, you're good. There was a specific event. I don't know if it was like round three or round four of Clutch Kicker season one. It was whenever we did the first event with the solid gray car, like prior to the ISR deal and everything. Um, And something that resonated with me is Pat was like, you drove that car in that setup like to the most it could have been capable of. And the run you put down for being here with that was magic. And I like told dad forever. I was like, 
like we need to wait till I have fully outgrown the car. Like there's no point in swapping early. It just costs more money. And he, he was in full agreement, but I always was hard on myself, especially early in my drifting career. I was like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for more power. If Matt, the ginge can drive his Z like a pro one FD car, I shouldn't change my motor until I can. Um, and then it just kind of became apparent that we were kind of inching towards needing to make a little bit more competitive car as we started pro, uh, developing as a program and other guys started as well. Uh, you kind of are just like, okay, you know, what's the next step? We're like, we're driving the Z every weekend. It's working, but like, how can we try and get closer to a win? Um, and even though clutch gear season one and two was like an equalizer track there, you know, to really make it past like top 16 and onward, it kind of did feel like you really needed that extra power and stuff. So we just decided to do a swap and, um, dad's always built hot rods with LS stuff. He's done a couple trucks. He had a 67 Camaro right around when I first started drifting that he had a, a Texas speed LS three in T56, a really cool car. So he's always tinkered with LS stuff. He's always been a GM guy. Um, So I was obviously naturally just gravitated to that. But something I'm also a big proponent of is the choices you make in building your car should revolve around what you're trying to accomplish. And what we were trying to accomplish is the most amount of power and the most reliability we can to keep a simple father-son program on track without dealing with a lot of issues. And that kind of just seemed the easiest way to do that was a simple, reliable Chevy LS motor. Okay. And then that did that all come to fruition at the same time as the ISR um sponsorship? Yeah, so we were already kind of in the midst of piecing it together. We bought a 60 LQ9 long block off Craigslist. This is before Facebook Marketplace was like the go-to. Uh dad got it from some guy locally on Craigslist and then we just he actually gave me his Texas Speed PRC heads that were for his car, oh, the awesome. Camaro. Um, and then we were kind of just waiting on being able to get everything together. And then, uh, you know, I approached ISR about, you know, trying to help us propel the speed of getting the car swapped so we can be more competitive. And thankfully, after the whole battle with Kevin Lawrence and everything from that day forward, I had a really strong, healthy and just a great friendship with all the guys at Njuku and ISR. You know, they're kind of like a brother sister company. So that really, I think, helped me a lot, obviously, uh, being like real good friends with those guys and being close with Kevin. Uh, but I guess they saw something in me and took a leap and they helped us get the swap done, uh, you know, made sure we could get it done before that round four. We got it done in like a month, which is crazy to me because mm. we mm. just kind of did it in the garage. Um, but, yeah, so they were definitely a huge part of actually making that possible because uh, we probably would have had to wait till the off season to even get that that original motor in the car. Mm. So once you did the LS swap, what? Did you have to, you realize now you have, it's a whole different power band. It becomes like a whole nother machine now. What did you have to make other suspension adjustments once you added that power? We had a pretty simple car and we didn't like really grip it up. So we never really felt like we needed to make any crazy adjustments at the time. But I think that might've really just been due to our kind of lack of knowledge on what goes into like setting up a car once you add the power. Because looking back, I drove that LQ9 car like, completely ungripped up and like really loose and kind of just didn't it wasn't at like what it definitely was capable of mm-hmm. for like a whole year straight um but that was kind of just something we learned as a learning curve but then once we did this new motor with the 416 stroker uh it's a lot more rowdy makes a lot more power then you kind of start needing like a better trans so you can like really just like shift the thing like crazy at a high rpm without missing a gear and that also kind of goes into like building a car around what you're doing. You know, if you miss a shift on a run up, you're kind of like toast in the chase. And that happened a bunch of times at clutch kickers. Once we did the six Oh, uh, swap with the CD double nine, 
Uh, it wasn't even a nine. It was like a CD double at one, but it always gave us issues on the run up. Like I would always have to like shift into third at like 2,500 RPM oh, and just God. like let it run out. Oh, yeah. So that was one of those things where we were like, that was probably the biggest change that came from the swap is we were like, we need a drivetrain that like, can we can rev all the way out, bang into the next gear and just keep going. Hmm. But we pretty much left the car really similar suspension wise until we really started obtaining knowledge. And once I like started at BC Racing and whatnot and got in touch with Freddie Spectune, who's like really knowledgeable on suspension, then we realized that we kind of needed to switch over to playing with different sway bars and different setups for different tracks, whether you're, you're on a bank, there's an angle, mm-hmm. uh, learning to use double adjustable shocks, uh, all that kind of plays into effect. And then it does end up needing to become a thing once you start adding more power, if you're like really taking a serious competitive uh, you know, route with it right right because a lot of times a power plant is just a little part of the package right paul went to um did you go to chelsea's um school uh, a no, no, i think it was new did you go you had that school paul went there no, and, uh, no, it wasn't there. i didn't and uh you, you were telling us a lot about like well he said you were it was mostly around sustainability but how important suspension is and i remember one time when we saw uh chelsea he was like wasn't he wasn't who's he going against yeah, I forget who was battling, but he was falling back in his little Mustang, and it was oh, you're like, talking about oh, you're talking about yeah, clutch kickers, yeah, yeah, clutch kickers, and he pops his hood, he makes a couple tweaks, the next thing you know, uh, Savio, uh, Savio, yeah, it was against yeah, Savio, yeah, yeah, he was against Savio, he couldn't, he couldn't keep up, and then he makes some tweaks to his suspension. We thought he was turning up the boost, but it wasn't that. <laughs> he, he was turning, tweaking his suspension, <laughs> yeah. and the next thing you know, he was on his door. Yeah, and uh, who insane. who has helped? So you said, so who are the kind of some of the key players or key friends that have helped teach you? um different setups and how to set up your vehicle yeah so there's been three main outside of pat there's been like three main real people that have helped us uh that's freddie at Spectuned. even though people think he's just a tuner he's actually like a race car genius when it comes to setting up cars and whatnot and drifting uh he has a ton of knowledge with it and he really he's technically kind of usually in control of my shocks whenever i'm going to a track okay. i'm like give me a setup that you think is going to work and every time I go out there the first lap, it just works. I barely, rarely make tweaks because I'm kind of one of those guys where I'm like, it's doing the job. It's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to grip the car up to where I'm fighting it. Mm-hmm. It's it's handling right based on the course. Let's just leave it. Uh, but between like Freddie, Spectuned, uh, Steven Tassinero and Matt the Ginge, those guys have all collectively like really helped us piece by piece. Just kind of get the little information we need on how to how to set things up and make adjustments and little things you can do to make your car faster, especially because ours is really heavy. So we're trying to like make them like as much grip and as make it as fast as possible as we can. Okay. Um, I had a question. So during your time at Clutch Shakers, was there a moment or was there a particular battle or driver that really kind of surprised you in your abilities to really kind of push yourself beyond what you were capable of? And do you recall that moment? Because oftentimes you feel like you've probably been in moments where you don't know if you were capable of entering at 70 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. But when you saw that perhaps the uh, you know you were at a deficit mm-hmm. and you really had to push yourself to try to gain an advantage to sway the the judges' uh, minds towards your favor. You really had to do something out of the ordinary, something beyond you know, beyond what you thought was possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if so, it, was there a moment? 
Yeah, for sure. I think one of those moments this season would be uh, my battle with Dirk Stratton on, I think, round three. It was actually in the top eight. It was the first time we had ever made it to the top eight Mm -hmm. at Clutch Kickers. Mm -hmm. We were all, like, really stoked and really excited, but then we're all also, like, on absolute, like, focus mode, like, oh my gosh, we made it this far. We already have to change tires, because once you get that later, it's like, you got to be ready in five minutes. We're like, oh my gosh, we weren't expecting this. You get back out on track, and then I'm like, all right, I got to push, like, crazy hard. Like, his car is way faster. It's way lighter. He's got a better tire. The car is like probably 800 pounds lighter. It's got way more power. He's a substantially better driver. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, we literally have to go 100,000% like that. I can't. And I pushed a little too hard, like trying to give like the absolute best chase I could. And I booped his rear bumper. And I thought I had hit him way harder than I did. So I like kind of just like bobbled off track. And it was like a huge mistake by me. But I think if I would have just gave him like a couple more inches, it would have actually been fine. Mm-hmm. But after that, I was like, okay, you know, going into my lead run, I was like, all right, this is something that I can either like surprise them with and go lay down the best run that I've ever seen myself do at this track, uh, enter as fast as possible, just give that extra little gas, maybe don't lift on that shift, just every little inch you can to really get to the, you know, initiation as fast as possible, enter higher than I ever had and just stay pinned. And I did that and I, I was really surprised on the outcome. I don't think he was necessarily expecting it because he had kind of fallen down the bank just a little bit. I think it may have surprised him because our car, we really did throw a little bit of grip in it for that battle. Uh, I mean, we just aired down. We didn't do anything crazy. But, you know, if you air down 5 PSI sometimes, yeah. it's a substantial difference. Mm-hmm. You know, your car is bogging all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But I think that was one of the battles where after I saw the lead run and I was like, wow, if I would have maintained composure in the chase and not fumbled it, my lead run was so far of than what I had ever done all weekend that I actually may have been way more of a contender in the battle than I thought I was. And that's kind of one of those things where you kind of just have to learn to control yourself and contain yourself and be very composed in the moment with your decision making, like in the middle of a run, because, you know, had I not got too aggressive, you know, the lead was a substantial difference in what I've been doing all day that it might have actually allowed me to at least pull through for one more time. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I got a question for you. Um, You watch if you watch a lot of sports and a lot of, you have a lot of different uh, world famous athletes that, that have different like good luck charms or, or different rituals they do before battles. Like maybe to, I don't wash my underwear like for a week before a competition, <laughs> you, know, you know, stuff like, you know what I'm talking about. Like these are my lucky socks. I never wore them. I only wear them when I do battles. Do you have, do you do anything like that or, or what's going on in your, in the cockpit of your car right before you go into a battle? I am I do nothing special. I like I'm, I'm a very like I think on like a very logic based mindset. So I'm like whatever I'm capable of doing is whatever I'm capable of doing. Nothing can change that. Mm-hmm. I can just push as hard as I can and that's going to be the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but dad will tell you firsthand whenever I get in the car, it's like I am in like I'm in a black hole in my mind. Like I don't think about anything mm-hmm. but like car goes where your eyes go. Lay down the best run you can like. I get in the car usually like really early compared to other drivers. I like to just sit there fully suited in with all my harnesses and everything literally as tight as possible. And I just sit there and I just think, I don't think about like what I'm going to do on the battle. I just like stare off in the distance. I get myself in like a, an accidental kill mode that I'm not even trying to channel. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of do that. And like dad knows not to like, we like we mutually know just kind of not to talk to each other for like the five to 10 minutes before going out. Mm -hmm. We kind of just get the car ready, give each other thumbs up. I'm like, Hey, is your fuel in the car? He's like, yep, we're good to go. And then I kind of just get in my zone get strapped 
up. We get our little fist bumps. He tells me, love you, buddy. And then I just go on my way. <laughs> nice. Okay. So you do it. So it's like a little ritual and it not, wouldn't say a ritual, yeah. but it is something that you, you do consistently. Cause like we always notice magic Mike, he'll be playing music. And I think, um, Brandon Whitnick will always listen to music. You see the head bobbing around. Everybody has their own little thing that they do. Uh, for me, yeah. it's always just like, I'm nervous. And I'm just kind of like thinking, okay, <laughs> I got my brother in my ear saying, don't spin, you idiot. And then, and then, you know, because I'm thinking, don't spin and, and all this other stuff. So, um, but another thing I wanted to bring up too is, uh, you actually worked for a friend of ours with a friend of ours that, well, a friend, I use the term loosely. No, I'm just kidding. What you, <laughs> but, um, he had his own zone. I don't know if you knew. Oh, God. I don't know if, oh, uh, my if you God. He also this, drove a 350Z. He also drove a 350Z. Um, this person being, I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, his initials, yeah, <laughs> his initials are his name. His initials are his name. KP. So you worked with KP, yeah. I believe. Did, did that inspire yeah. you for a 350Z at all? Or is that just no, a dark not necessarily. Cause when I was young and I was watching Kevin drive, this is how, how young I am. <laughs> as bad as that sounds. I when I first saw Kevin drive, he was already in Pro 2 and he already had like the matte black S14 with like the LQ9. I wasn't like young enough to see any of the before of that. So I kind of just like I was always like, oh, my gosh, that's Kevin Phillips, the Pro the Pro 2 driver. Like that guy made it happen. Mm-hmm. But I love Kevin. Yeah. 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 Uh, we, that, that, that amazes us, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I wager that you missed out some of the best years of uh, KP's drifting career. Mm-hmm. Uh, we witnessed some great highlights, and it's really unfortunate that many people were, I mean, nowadays, they weren't able to witness well, some of the. Well, some maybe, of the that we maybe, witnessed. maybe we'll get our track back one day and he can come and experience the KP zone. Yeah. KP himself can recreate it. So yeah, that way yeah. he can further cement yeah. himself yeah. in that, uh, that area. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you know, we used to run events. I'm pretty sure we used to run events down here in Miami. And, and I believe that's where KP did his first event. Cause we, I think he came out. Yeah. And, um, he had his own zone. Do you know how he got named for that zone, Ryan? Or no? No, not a, not a clue. I have no knowledge on the history of like South South Florida drifting. Because okay. when I got into it, it was just OSW was already a thing, and that was established. All right. Well, we we gonna school you here, Ben. You do you tell the story the best. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, I, I'll be brief. Um, but basically, it was one of those things where we we're having an event, and the way how it was it was laid out, it was basically like a top of second, like mid third, I would mm-hmm. say, yeah. uh, left hand turn. And going to like a pretty uh, long stretch down to a tight second gear turn, mm-hmm. very tight. But that long stretch on the right corner, uh, right side of it, we had like a row of garbage bins. Barrels, 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 like at racetrack, you know? right? Yeah. Uh, we had these barrels, just big blue uh, barrels. That yeah. were just on the side. They're, ra- the- they're race. They're race fuel barrels. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Right. That's what they were. I yeah. mean, if you've been to a racetrack, they always yeah. use those for yeah. Uh, yeah. garbage cans. But go ahead. Yeah, and then they were way off the track. Like if your car or somebody ends up somewhere around there, you really did something that shouldn't have been done. You went way past the point of no return, <laughs> and we're thinking like. Oh, I mean, you know, nobody's gonna just Who's gonna go hit that. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's gonna, gonna show it. up, and and then of course, whenever we say that, we get proven wrong, and it just so happens that uh, KP, the overachiever, <laughs> sure, okay, <laughs> we'll say that. He says uh, he just went ahead, and uh, I don't know what's go- now. Here's the thing: we don't know what's going on with his car. 
For all we know, he could be having you some technical difficulties right? or something. Maybe something was wrong with his suspension. Or maybe his VQ was acting up. I mean, that's not a surprise <laughs> there. I mean, it being a, <laughs> you know what happen. it is. But in any case, so he just went straight into the turn and just, I don't know, plowed heavy on the understeer pretty bad. and just went way offline, way off the track. And the way how he just managed to hit this one barrel that was out in the middle of nowhere was that I guess he realized what where, where he, he had he gone wrong. Yeah, yeah. He tried to correct it, but it just wasn't enough. And the way how he hit the barrel was hit, the barrel hit the right side view mirror and it hit it in such a way that the glass went inside the vehicle because he had the windows down <laughs> and the glass just went spiraling towards his, his face and with his, with when, his and visor the, was up the visor was up and it just goes and smacks him across the nose <laughs> and just really just nails it in and real makes him realize like hey you made uh, a big mistake here yeah. pal yeah he done fudged so, the bucket <laughs> oh funny mm. but to make it more interesting of course kp uh, who he is he didn't just leave it at that. Mm-mm. He made sure to just go back to the pits and tell everyone and show everyone what just yeah, happened. Everybody, everybody knew. Everybody knew what happened that day. Everybody at that event knew what happened that day. And that is why it will forever be known, no as matter what up. happens, as a KP's up. So maybe if we get the track back one day, Lord willing... You can come, come down, down to experience. You can experience the KP zone. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I feel like I missed out on a huge part of like Florida drifting because I got into it so late. Like everyone talks about like CFRC. I wasn't even around for CFRC, and that's considered like kind of like modern Florida drifting history. But I didn't even get to experience that. Like I just really got to experience like OSW and like so far just like the Emerald Coast track, which is now shut down or not shut down. Whatever happened, bought it. Not sure. And then uh, the Freedom Factory, which that track's pretty cool. Uh, just kind of sucks about the middle pavement situation, but yeah. yeah. But I mean, I kind of envy you though, and and your generation because the following and the well, I'll say right this: they're way better than we were ever. Were. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. By far, you guys, you guys are, are progressing fast. No, you are progressing faster. Yeah. There, are, there's more events than there used to be back then. Like back then, when you would do an event. You could pay like 250 bucks, and sometimes you're lucky if you get six laps. And that was normal. That wasn't out of normal. So I, I really. The rest of the time is filled with people spinning out. Yeah, rest of time, right. Just people <laughs> spinning out, or somebody's not really paying attention running an event, and they're just like, oh, we're going to give everybody three minutes. Well, you have 40 drivers, right? Yeah. Everybody in three minutes. You're not getting, you're not going to get enough laps. But my point being is that you're really, at, you're coming into drifting at a good age and a good time because. It just the the it's more affordable now. You get more quality seat time, and you with the help of stuff like sim rigs and all the wealth of knowledge that you have, like you know you have Uncle Pat and, and all the other guys in Juco and stuff, right? I love Uncle to, Pat to be able to uh, mentor you, and you can learn from. I, I mean, I really, I actually envy where you are. And if I if I had to choose what generation to get into drifting i'd be i'd rather be where you are right now just because yeah we have these great stories but you have plenty of great stories and you're going to have great stories as the years go by so don't don't feel like you missed out because i mean a lot of yeah, times we true. feel like we're watching you and we're missing out yeah that's true so anyways um so one of the things i kind of want to go back to and it's sort of a i guess a, a dark period in your career is going back to what happened to clutch figures when 
you uh, make contact with the wall. And the reason why I want to bring it up is that oftentimes people will go to that kind of traumatic event and it will deter them from progressing forward. It will actually cause them to quit and sort of because they'll either get, you know, traumatized or too uh, disruptive uh, based on the experience. So kind of talk to us about what happened um, and uh what what was the uh concept, the outcome of it and also what was your path to recovery because obviously you took that experience you um you learned from it and then you didn't give up you, you got back onto the driver's seat to do more events yeah for sure um going through something like that is definitely it'll like shake you up for sure when you have like your first big impact like with a wall like that or even maybe another car uh it like puts you in a position where you're like whoa like every time we try not to do that this is the one time that it happened and you feel the effects of it you know you're like sore you like can't even crawl out of the car you're like how much stuff's damaged what's the team gonna have to fix but i think from sim drifting it almost made me immune to like not immune but it, it it like desensitized me to like wrecking because like all i did for three years on the sim was throw some virtual car at the osw wall and total it every single lap and click back to pits so the first thing i told dad like when i was in the ambulance uh when they were checking me out is i was like on the phone with them i was like is is the car drivable because like the second these guys tell me that my heart rate's down enough to get back out there i'm going to finish this battle so we can get like the car better Mm -hmm. and drive tomorrow um i kind of wasn't really phased by it honestly i kind of just wanted to like i wanted i think what i was really nervous about and what really did actually kind of sit in the back of my head is we knew that the frame was pushed in some and i was really nervous that we weren't going to get the car back to in like factory frame spec and we were never going to like get the car to drive the same again and that like really didn't end up being the case dad used like a port of power in the driveway to like pull the frame back enough to finish the season and we were able to get the car back into alignment with no issue but that's probably the thing that i was like most scared of not really not really ever worried about hitting again i mean i i know that it's just motorsports and that kind of thing happens it does suck um it sucks financially because you got to replace a lot of stuff especially if you're a low budget team you know you're like okay we were going to do this upgrade but now we're a month or two behind on that because we had to shell out and get like a new wise fat kit. Mm-hmm. That's like exactly what happened to us. But yeah, I think I was more so just worried that the car wasn't going to be the same car and it wasn't going to drive the same again. And I was just kind of like in the back of my head, I was like, what if like I get back in it and it just doesn't feel like the same car? Like, because one, like we're not able to get it back in mm-hmm. spec, but then we ended up being able to. And the next round I drove the best I ever have, which was mm-hmm. round three. That's where I yeah. placed top eight. I went out there and I was like, oh, another bank track. Sick. Let's rub the wall this time instead of hitting it. Right. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you definitely did show a lot of improvement. And I think one of the things you told me is was different is you had more time to dial in the car before an event. I, th- I think this conversation we had because you had the issue with the power steering, which was the ultimate fault is why you wanted to walk, correct? Yeah, we lost the the belt flew off. We were having issues with like the stock spec, like OEM, but non OEM, like AutoZone, I guess, basically uh, factory GM LS style pump that was like kind of failing. We went through two of those. We couldn't really keep a belt on the car consistently for a little bit, but that happened after the wreck. But yeah, leading up to the event, we had had a couple failures uh, uh, at OSW, and we actually even had power steering failures at round one of the pro am. Mm. But for some reason, it only happened during qualifying. 
But yeah, we kind of beefed up right before that event. Dad went through and did like the turn one power steering pump. He like went through and he was like, I'm going to make sure that power steering system never fails again, mm-hmm. like with you behind the wheel. Right. And seeing him kind of put that kind of confidence into his own work and talking with Freddie and Ant from Ajuku about getting the right kind of setup for it. And it just gave me like it fueled a fire in me that I knew the car was going to work and it was going to do its thing and that I could throw it against the wall at 100 percent and not worry about it happening. And that's where we when we spoke about that at the event, I was like, yeah, we've got a beefed up system and I know that I can trust the car to put it a couple inches away from the wall and not have something sketchy like that happen again. And it didn't. It held through and we placed really high. Hmm. Have you ever have you been to LS Fest? I have not. I've been meaning to try and make that event for like two years, but dad and I just keep trying to pack the schedule with as much comp stuff as possible, like season comp. Last season we did clutch kickers and USDC. That was kind of hectic and it kind of just made it hard for us to find the the time, the actual budget to like drive up yeah. there. Cause I think it's in Kentucky. That's like, you know, a few day trip for us and yeah. then getting out there and doing a side event in between all the other rounds of everything. But we really want to do it this year. Like, I think this year is the year that we're finally going to hopefully be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be out there. Do you, do you have a spotter that you, um, that you use? I mean, is there, uh, have you had one spotter or have you had different spotters or do you uh, kind of like a no spotter uh, driver? I know there's some drivers that choose not to have a spotter, make it easier for them. Where are you at in that? Yeah. So for the USDC pro-am, we did have a spotter. We kind of, we tried to maintain the exact same team for all of those rounds so we could be as effective as possible. Steve Bergstrom, the gentleman with the like greenish blue turbo VQ 350Z that did clutch kickers last year. He was our spotter for all of those rounds. He came to every event um, he has a ton of driving experience and now has a ton of competitive driving experience and he really knows what to look for. Uh, he's been watching competitive drifting for years. So I knew that I could trust him to tell me where I needed to put the car if I'm laying down a bad run or not. And that worked out good uh, for that season. But for clutch kickers, we kind of treat it as like a practice and progress thing just to just to hang with the big dog. So I don't try and like take that series that serious. Um, I, I want it to be like because me and dad started, you know, with clutch kickers. That was our thing. Like father-son program coming out to clutch kickers just having fun and we try and kind of keep that till this day and the easiest way to do that is just be relaxed with it you know drive the best you can with the car but like don't you know don't overthink it don't overstress it don't don't get down on yourself about how the day's going we just kind of go out there and have fun so for clutch kickers i don't use a spotter at all i just kind of look at footage and i'm like that sucked i really need to get the car wider in that zone or you know reposition here i could fix that but dad kind of just gives me pointers here and there and films and i just kind of look at it in between sessions and go from there makes sense no you got something no wait i do but go you can go first oh okay um so taking into account the uh high stress environment that is surrounds a clutchingers as a driver uh how is the environment like for something uh such as a king of osw Oh man, King of OSW stuff is like my probably like where I'm like having the most fun. You know, when you can kind of just get in like a simple car, or even I even did it in the comp car one time like a year or two ago. But that stuff is so much less stressful because you're like, it's just for bragging rights with your own friends and whatnot. You guys are all trying to just do the same thing. You know, it's not really about the free entry to events. You know, we all want to support OSW, so that doesn't even matter. We're just like, you kind of want to be like, hey, I got I got it this time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I got through Matt, Adam, Steven, mm-hmm. Steve, all these crazy drivers, Chris Rios, all these guys that have been reigning kings, Ben Julian. So you kind of just want to get it for bragging rights against your own friends. But it's fun in that aspect because it's just so much more chill. You know, you're not, you're not trying to set up a car for something. You're like, 
I'm going to get in the little box that I've been driving around all day throughout these crazy A-class sessions that's taking taps and hits, and we're just going to throw them around the skid pad and drive like it's FD and bang doors and like see how far we can all go and whose car is going to do the most laps before it overheats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all- so that stuff's way more fun. <clears throat> yeah. Not fun, but it's just like way less stressful. Mm-hmm. You just gave me an idea. What if? Uh, all right, hang on. Oh, crazy Ben idea. There it comes. All right, for the <laughs> king of OSW competition, right? None of the drivers have a hand at the suspension tuning. What? what? Yeah. Wait, wait, what do you mean? Wait, what do you so mean? Hand. Basically, have somebody that's not knowledgeable at suspension tuning <laughs> go oh, God. Ahead, set up everybody's I, car, set up everybody's oh, car and then have everybody go out there. And compete with just <laughs> messed up, up cars. Just, yeah, messed up cars. All right. Wow. Go instead of not a negative, go positive. Go positive. You know, positive yeah, or negative. Just decided to and then slam the just the uh, the back rear wheel, just that one, and raise <laughs> all the others up. And you gotta. <laughs> that would be insane. That be that people would die. What? No, no, what are you talking about? OSW safe. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying you're you're entrusting people that know nothing about suspension. Exactly. That's what makes it fun. That might be and exciting. It, it, I could see where it'd be fun and exciting. I think that'd be a little difficult to do. And I think, um, I don't think it's going to work. Okay. Yeah. No. All right. What was your question? I forget. Oh, <laughs> no. What I was going to um, ask is now you, you've got the power plant in there. The power plant seems to be pretty solid. You've been uh, making changes to your suspension. What about the other part of drifting, which is building a program? What have you been learning I think you said you're you're taking different courses to help you um, public speaking and stuff like that to help you be more presentable, which I think you do a good job already. But what are some of the other things that you're planning to do this year to help develop that program? Yeah, so we actually haven't made too many changes in in respect to that, but I have made my approach a little bit different in what I kind of do when reaching out to companies. Um Finding sponsors and partners for drifting can be a little bit difficult because you have so many drivers in the same space, kind of all chasing after the same companies because there's only so many companies that provide, you know, the, the angle kits, the parts, the things you need to really build a competitive, you know, pro car or pro am car for your program. Um, so something I've really tried uh, and dad and I have really been really keen on the last year is working with people who aren't actually necessarily uh, drifting related companies. And I think that actually ends up opening quite a bit of doors. And if you can kind of market yourself to local businesses or businesses in Florida that maybe aren't necessarily automotive related, but they could appeal to the drifting audience and the fans watching it, whether it's, you know, you see things like this in FD with like heatwave sunglasses working with people like Matt Field and Adam, you know, this is a, a brand that creates a product that doesn't necessarily really benefit drivers at all. And their market cap and market space really probably isn't motorsports, but it's something that everyone as a fan and as a driver is going to, is going to need at some point, you know, everybody needs sunglasses. Mm -hmm. So I think like people kind of stepping out of the box and I noticed it in FD like a couple years ago and it started to trickle down, but thinking outside the box and reaching out to companies that aren't necessarily drifting related is I think something that is like a thing of the future for like, especially amateur level programs. I think a lot of guys shy away from it because they're like, oh, you know, this brand that makes product X that has no like tie to drifting, they're not going to want to sponsor some random race car. But I know from talking to some very close friends 
you know, about some some program details uh, over the last couple of years is some people end up getting quite a bit of money from, you know, companies that aren't necessarily drifting related. And, you know, we've had success working with some some non-drifting related companies and whatnot, only a couple. Uh, but that's something, like I said, that we're trying to approach differently this year and try and give ourselves a, a better budget to just have a more effective program and car overall. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these, uh, I mean, look at NASCAR, right? There's a lot of NASCARs that their sponsors have nothing to do with racing, right? It's not, not necessarily. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to maybe some guys don't want to put like Palm olive on the side of their car. Right. You know, maybe, (laughs) maybe not. Right. Oh, I don't want to have a green car says Palm olive (laughs) on it, but if they're, if they're paying for your full season and they give you enough money to buy the parts you need, then you got to be able to just, just go with it. Right. I I, I mean, maybe some people don't want to do that. Well, you got Alberto with the uh, dental group. Yeah. Alberto with the dental group, but you, um, there's uh, I mean, we have the, the, the energy drink, right? Red bull and, and monster and, well, and rockstar. Um, doesn't, uh, what's her name have Celsius on her car? Uh, uh, Oh, uh, Colette. Colette. Yeah. Yeah. Colette Davis. She has Celsius on her car. So I definitely agree. And, and I would even go further is, is look at the demographic of the people that watch drifting and see what they're into, whether it be like T-Mobile phones or whatever it is, and chase those companies down because probably a lot of people aren't chasing those companies down because maybe they don't want to paint, you know, do a livery like that. But every big company has to, they, they have money they need to put towards advertising. It's just getting them to give you the money. Every company has it. I got an idea to, to piggyback off your uh, T-Mobile thing. Okay. Oh, God. Here it yeah, goes. T-Mobile installs a cell tower oh, on your vehicle. On the vehicle. Yes. Yeah. And then now you're going to be a hit. People are going to follow you. Yeah. They're going to want to know you. Yeah. You'll have cancer wa- after the event, but, <laughs> you know, yeah, your, your brain will be fried because of the, yeah. No, not so much. <laughs> you got some very dangerous ideas. To, to, to I don't know what you're talking about. These are yeah. genius. Very, very dangerous. Uh, uh, I got actually a question in the chat uh, from Joseph who writes, has Ryan ever thought about good long-term investments to help with drifting? Hmm. Oof, that's a tough question, honestly. Um, man, I, I don't really know that there is at the moment too many like long-term investments in drifting you can really make other than building the kind of right car and whatnot that you can maybe be profit, make profit out of your own car. Uh, something that my buddy Ryan Sovia does is he has this tendency to build really cool cars and then rent them out to people. Something that I've wanted to kind of maybe do in the future is similar to that. Uh, rent out competition spec cars. Uh, I think like building a service where you can like rent a car or something, you see like Drift HQ doing it. I feel like that's really the only way you can create like a future uh, future proof investment to where you can kind of build. But then again, then you kind of have to have a business built off of it because drifting is such a small motorsport, which it's more so of a spending motorsport than it is like an income motorsport. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, Formula One or, or something like that or IndyCar racing or NASCAR where there's there's all this money being thrown into it. All of the money being thrown into it is really just driver funds at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to to actually like try and set up for something like that when all the programs are kind of built off. Uh, you know, you and your program and what you can kind of kind of put together with other, you know, help from companies or, or family or whatever your you know situation is. Right. Hmm. So nothing at the moment. Maybe I need to start thinking about that. I guess <laughs> I am getting a little bit older. I'm not the 16 year old kid anymore in high school. So <laughs> you still look 16 though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good and a yeah, bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, going to trying to develop program. But yeah, start chasing down different sponsors that look at the demographic. And the age group that watches and maybe focus on that. Um, 
I mean, that, that, that you can't go wrong with that, right? You, you don't know until you ask. And you get your spot. I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you already built like a sponsorship package and get that together. And you just keep asking, keep knocking at the door and don't give up. I mean, that's really the key. Don't get For discouraged. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I was going to ask something. Ah, yeah, there we go. I just remembered. So you're in, uh, you're often in these uh, high stress environments. So how do you take time off? How do you get away from the mayhem? That's the, well, that's what, you know, drifting is at times competitive drifting. One of the things I've noticed, he, uh, acquired a uh, luxury vehicle and he's taking <laughs> it off road. A couple of times. So uh, care to share with us uh, a little bit about that, Ryan? Yeah. So I don't know if I would call it a luxury vehicle. I mean, the thing's like, what, 15, 16, 17 years old. It's a retired luxury vehicle. <laughs> but um, yeah, so pretty much like what a lot of people don't see is uh, what my week to week life consists of is like 20 hours of, of work. Um, you know, I just like a like six or seven hours at, at a coffee shop that I work at. And then any hours I wake up at like 6 or 7 a.m., any hours before that, I'm grinding uh, my college classes. Anytime after that, I'm grinding my college classes. That's kind of the Monday through Friday grind um, just to kind of keep myself afloat and, and pitch in, you know, the little that I can uh, into helping, you know, dad, you know, further the car and whatnot. But, yeah, so I did. I acquired a Lexus GX470 because something mm-hmm. I want to branch out into doing a little bit is uh, just some overlanding and traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, I'm in school and I work part time, so I can't if I want to go see the mountains or something, which I still to this day have not really seen. Uh, I can't really just afford to go buy a plane ticket and, and go. So I was like, you know, why don't I get like a little a little off roading rig? Um, that I can put like a tent on and just kind of go travel around the Southeast United States in reasonable distances and see all the cool things Florida, Georgia, North Carolina have to offer. And then what I really, the end goal with it is to be able to take the Street Z on an open trailer with it and travel to drift events and like not only camp in the car like off-roading, but you know, camp at the track up in English Town or Raceway Park and do like the the limited street series they have this year for competing. I think it'd be cool to take the GX up there with an open trailer and a, a VQZ, camp out at the track, you know, fry food in the morning on a little propane grill and wake up and go drive. Like, I think that'd be really cool. So, yeah, I've been doing uh, kind of getting my little, little SUV ready for some off-roading for the little bit of free time that we have in between weekends driving. Yeah. You know, actually, there's one thing we actually forgot to mention earlier on. Is you said you were going to do a little giveaway. <laughs> we, we talked about it before, but we kind of forgot to mention that. Um, how how are you how are we going to do that again? You what do you have? You you have like giveaway packs, or what do you what are you giving away? Yeah, so um, our good friends over at uh, BC Racing have supplied us with a BC Racing uh, pretty much swag pack to give out. Um, I believe it consists of the new like blackout shirt, blackout hoodie. Um, the new like trackside handbook, which is really neat, uh, especially if you're a driver or if you're not a driver, it's still like a journal that you can use for kind of log all your modifications and what you do to your car, um, as well as the hat that goes with that whole collection. Um, so if you guys want to win that, what you can do, take a picture of you watching the live stream right now or any point throughout the stream. Throw it up on your Instagram story and put hashtag giveaway, tag Drift Sessions and myself. And then at the end of the night, I'm going to get everybody uh, that has pretty much done that by midnight in a in a group drawing software and then we'll draw the winner and i'll reach out to you on instagram nice okay cool that's yeah. great then that's the end of the show i mean there's a couple a couple of more things um so um i, I gotta tell you this uh with clutch shakers going down it sort of left this huge void mm-hmm. and it really just 
because we've been already exposed to three seasons of it. Yep. And we're already uh, like getting mentally prepared for a fourth for season. Fourth season, and yeah. it just it goes under. Oh, t- uh, hiatus! Hiatus! Yeah, it goes, it takes a break. Yeah. It takes a break. Uh, I don't want any people thinking. No anything. bad juju. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. So we. I mean, I, we felt it. We've seen it. How everybody sort of now is trying to scramble to see, like, what do we do now? Where yeah. do we go? Uh, what do we, you know, what do we see and so forth? So, uh, and I guess that ties into a question as uh, as I want to ask is, Brian, what do you see this year, 2023? Uh, what are you looking to do or see or compete at? And uh, yeah, tell us. Yeah, so competition-wise, I mean, we're going full-fledged into, at the moment, the USDC Pro-Am. We were really, really originally looking forward to putting a lot of time uh, into clutch kickers and trying to be more competitive for that and just kind of have a little bit more lax, like, fun-sided competitive driving. Uh, But like you said, when that news dropped, everybody was kind of, like, scrambling to figure out, like, what are we going to do? What competition series are we going to do? So I would like to do, like, the Gambler series, but that is kind of... We're a low budget program. That's kind of like it's a lot of driving. It's a lot of traveling. The whole thing about clutch kickers that benefited us all the time is that it was here in Florida. You know, we can leave after work on a Friday, come back on Sunday, be at work again on Monday. You know, dad and I. uh, And it was something that was cheap on travel costs. But for this year, we're planning on doing the USDC Pro-Am again, going full fledged in that, trying to get a license. Um, And then I would love to do a couple of events like the Gambler. I'm going to try and do the October one uh, because that's kind of after the USDC season. So we can squeeze that out. I want to take the comp car up there to that like Outlaw Unlimited series where there's like no rules. You just kind of run what you brung. That would be really cool. And then I want to do like I want to also bring the Street Z up there and do some of the the fun events like the the 235 limited class that Chris and them are doing over at English Town. I think that'd be really cool. I think it's kind of like a... a very similar thing to what clutch kickers did at the start. So I'm kind of really curious to see how it goes, how it goes. Cause you know, you got these limitations, mm-hmm. yeah. you, you know, you're putting tire limit and stuff. It's kind of goes back to, okay, are we going to see like another grassroots competitive comp that has got a little mix of everything? So I'm really excited to see what kind of goes down at the English town thing. It seems like it's going to be a pretty promising, like two series thing. Um, and they do great event hosting up there and have a lot of their stuff like together in terms of the organization. So I think it'll be flawless stuff up there and I really want to go see it. Dad and I both want to. So what about that catch my drift? Are you, are you going to try to make that? I saw that and those do seem appealing, but the schedule kind of seems to not necessarily align with the events we're already planning to do. And then we're trying to account for time in between events to work on stuff because last season doing both series, we didn't really have much time at all to make any progress on the car um, in between events because, you know, it was like, oh, clutch kickers this weekend. And then in 14 days, we got to be back to Sebring for, you know, USDC. And you can only make so many changes in that time when you're like a small team. Uh, and, you know, dad's like the one primarily wrenching on the car. You know, we're limited on what he can do literally time wise trying to balance two series. So that kind of just throws a wrench in it. Um. I, but yeah, the catch my drift stuff, it seems it seems really appealing, but the schedule stuff I just don't think isn't going to really line up uh, for what we're looking to do. So I think we're unfortunately going to have to skip that stuff. Uh, it is going to be interesting, though, not to kind of go on a tangent, but to kind of add on to that, you know, we see clutch kickers falling out this year, taking a step down. And then all of a sudden there's a lot more, a lot more like big money series coming out. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting to see how those are going to play into the effect of Clutch Kicker season four when it does come back next year. Because uh, my concern is like, you know, I mean, I guess it's not really a concern. You know, we want the drifting community to grow. 
but what if there's all these other 50k shootout hundred thousand dollar series that start popping up mm-hmm. and you know it kind of just leaves clutch kickers in the water because it's hard to really you know maintain that that level of relevancy when you're not hosting events and i'm just kind of worried about that because i love the clutch gear staff and what they're doing and i think they have a really great outlook and organization on the rule sets the energy and the the whole kind of you know theme of in like motive behind their event so i just really hope that those don't like kind of tank clutch kickers and put it on the back burner for all the other drivers and spectators mm-hmm yeah, to add to that, I actually think you touched on something, um, and that's organization. I think that if these other series that are trying to do these high payout uh, events, if it comes to, I mean, every, I mean, if it happens, it'll be known mm-hmm. that if they're not well organized or the drivers don't have a good experience, whether if it's the judges or the rules or just the general vibe of what the event had to offer. I, th- I mean, I don't see how clutch shakers won't be able to recover it when they do decide to come back. It just had that secret sauce, you know. There's something about clutch kickers that just all of it made a lot of sense, and it really just flew, flew was very fluid, you know. I think they're one of the only series that really had their own live stream, right? I mean, now you see some of you see some of these other events have a live stream, but I mean, clutch kickers really. Yeah, pulled really, off the best yeah. grassroots live stream I think that I've seen. Um, so they had that. They had the judges that were you know very consistent, and then the the track team was always. I mean Zach and all everybody that worked for them is is always really pro- top notch. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, very professional. Definitely yeah, yeah. professional and just they knew exactly what they were doing. They mm-hmm. had a lot of experience, and it was just hard to uh, get that amount of. Um, teamwork and, and just uh organization yeah so hopefully um all these other guys are able to file suit and be able to deliver the same way clutch kickers was because like ben said if they don't it's it, it sucks because the drivers will make it known we've seen it in the past when we first heard of clutch kickers one of the things we were all skeptical about because we've seen a lot of series attempt to give money out or make these promises and not deliver and left a bad a taste in 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 the drifters um experience experience when it comes to non uh like uh like non formula drift or non like sanctioned competitions like these grassroots kind of competitions that pop put up popped up that people didn't want to do them because they they didn't know you know where are you going to get the money how is it actually going to end out but uh clutch kickers they came through and they made you know they did what they said they're going to do and and i'm i'm hoping that's going to be the same for all these other organizers are going to come out there they're going to bang out these events people are going to be happy and they'll at least be able to fill that void that clutch kickers um left right yeah yeah definitely uh we actually have another question in the chat uh from joseph who uh, writes is ryan going to venture to other motorsports as well Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know if I if I will anytime soon. Um, it is something that has piqued my interest, uh, but I think it'll be something in the future that I won't dive into until I'm able to hopefully have a, a solid drift program where I could venture out on maybe something on our own budget again. Uh, while still being able to drive, ideally, hopefully drifting at a professional level, but not any time like in the near, near future where I'm going to be like putting anything down to try something new. Uh, it'll definitely be a while or at least until 
we can, you know, have the same 130% that we have on drifting as well as experiment with some stuff. But if I was going to, and I did have an unlimited budget and I could experiment, uh, experiment with some stuff, I would definitely do some open wheel racing for sure. Like any car, like, like low level formula racing, but like, that's something that's really piqued my interest. Because, uh, you know, at heart, you know, I'm really a driver. You know, I, I like I like, you know, wrenching on the car and whatnot, but I don't I don't really get too, too much enjoyment out of like building a car. That's not kind of like my craft. It's not something I love seeing the progress of it. And I love seeing people like accomplish crazy builds and whatnot and, and, and build their own car and drive their own car. But I really like the physical aspect of driving in motorsports and winning. Um, and trying to win and try and like be the best guy out there uh you know when it comes down to being in the seat and doing the thing uh, and those kind of racing or that kind of racing does kind of just that you know it's like an all-out brawl for like mm-hmm. you know driver 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 so i think that would be cool to experiment with in the future but we're gonna need a little bit more budget or something to change before we can try that <laughs> right yeah but good you get something yeah um i do want to ask and maybe this has crossed your mind. I mean, if it hasn't, I mean, uh, I understand, but we've spoken about before how maybe there's something different that needs to be done with some of these events. Mm-hmm. Uh, we touched on it with uh, our conversation with Nate Hamilton and maybe how it needs to be simplified. And with some of the other series, perhaps there needs to be uh, more focus on the show aspect of it mm-hmm. to make it a little bit more entertaining. Now, if you had a hand, Mr. Ryan Acevedo at hosting an event. Have you thought about perhaps what what you would do or how you would go about in uh, in running it? Yeah, um, not something I've pondered too much because I'm trying to just stay on focus on the track. But um, you know, I think a lot of series are doing the rule set well and the judging style of things well. I think drifting is one of those things where it's always going to have to be a judged motorsport, uh, in my opinion. Because there's just so many factors in the way that we view competition drifting with the whole line angle style system. There's so many little key moments, little tiny bobbles sometimes that are the deciding factors in a battle. And if you start using like a technical system, you know, how do you determine that like, you know, checking all the boxes on here, something electronically or something crazy for the future, you know, Uh, because obviously, you know, things develop with time, just like we see in other motorsports. But you know, with the with the nature of drifting being like consistency and smooth and no bobbles and filling all your zones, you know, how do you start to take those into effect without having like a judged factor into it? Um, but it also is hard. I feel like is is like struggling to grow because of that. A lot of people that are into motorsports, like I mean, like I would argue that probably like more than half of F1's fan base, like didn't grow up in racing, didn't like and like they're not like full-on racing enthusiasts i've met so many people that are just like regular people not into cars but they absolutely they wake up at you know four in the morning to watch the next f1 race Mm -hmm. you know as soon as it's on and i think that you uh ben are absolutely right and when you say that there has to be more put into the show um obviously we see this in other motorsports it's like the viewership is what brings the money to allow these organizations and these events to pay out well for there to be an opportunity for drivers to receive a salary to where it's not like you know sponsorship rollover money is the you know the little bit of excess that they're making from driving uh there's got to be something to where you're able to pay these drivers and what that comes down to and you see it in nascar you see it in formula one you see it in indie racing you see it in 
football you see it in every form of other sport that's broadcasted it's it's all it's gotta it's gotta retain and just constantly draw in more people and it's gotta be entertaining for the show and for the people because that's that's what the numbers are based off nowadays and that's how you know tv programs and channels all get their all all get money so the show has gotta be i think what needs to like really be the next serious change for a series that's trying to grow to the next level there's got to be something that happens i don't know what it, it needs to be you know I'm, i don't have like a marketing background or like any sort of stuff with like television broadcast or anything but i feel like there's just got to be some massive changes in the way that it's it's given to the audience to grow because if it's not delivered to regular people well the sport's not going to grow you know there's only so many people that that get into the driving and 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 our drivers just like there are in every other little motors or every other big motorsport there's only so many people that do you know formula entry and entry level formula racing to you know to get to f1 but because they market it so well and they make it such an appealing thing for the average person to watch you've got this insane fan base following this stuff i mean people just on netflix watching the drive to survive that have no interest in racing they've never watched any other form but they're hooked and they're captured and they find an interest in a series and they're buying merchandise, they're they're paying for whatever, and then it helps the sport grow and then it allows drivers to get paid. And that's what I think is going to be the next level is whenever somebody can figure out how to capture the show and capture an audience. It, so, it sounds like you're saying we need to take the WWF and incorporate that in <laughs> drifting. I think that's what you're saying. Maybe that's, I that's what you got. That's what you heard I, of that? I think that's what I heard. Do you I have heard, WWF well, lenses? We need, we need folding chairs <laughs> by the start line. So if you really get upset, a person, you get the folding chair, you get out of your car, you smash <laughs> them over the head with it, and and meet some more trash talking managers, yeah, right? Some, some to, driver to managers, talk, driver yeah. managers, some more interviews, and, and I, I mean, I, I think if I mean it kind of subtle the way you made it sound, but I think that's what you're saying. Ah, crap! Oh, what the hell? Oh, 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 crap! God's punishing me. Are you flopping? Oh, my leg! He's flopping. No, no. Oh, Are you man, flopping? That was just the Lord saying, "Hey, shut up." <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, oh, I got a cramp. Oh, anyhow. You're you okay. You I, got, I got stretched out. You get a hamstring cramp? He, like, was, he was telling us we were old. Now you're just like, well, I just started it. getting okay. I, this year. I started getting back into working okay. out. So it's okay. like, I'm cramping up all kinds of craziness. Well, what yeah. I, I mean, the, the idea is how do we capture an audience, right? How do we. I mean, I think the problem with drifting right now is that you have a lot of people that are new to the sport come in and watch it and then they don't understand why one guy lost and the other one won when to there when they're looking at it they they think that oh, that person looked like they won they can't make the we need to make it easier for uh, yeah, to tell so who the victor saying. is definitely so i don't know how to do that um we i think we've yeah. asked everybody on this that comes on the show how do we make <laughs> drifting more popular because yeah. we don't want to see our sport die out we want to see it grow into something new. I've been saying something completely opposite. I think it needs to be like an exhibition style type stuff, but that's me. But um, no, but there's a place for that, and you see that now with like the LZ Invitational and uh, that the um, NM IRA. There's a lot, a lot of letters. You uh, got some time to National work on, work yeah, on this. Yeah, I got some. Yeah, I'm gonna have to make sure I get that right. But uh, that's an Invitational. Right, you do have your invitational events out there, so that's basically like an exhibition, right? Even, yeah, even I mean, LS Fest, LS Fest is really not a serious competition, right? They don't do qualifying, right? That's what I'm saying. Eliminate qualifying, pick the drivers that are going to battle. 
I mean, if you, I mean, come everybody, I think can like no protests. No, but no, what I'm saying, if you wanted to set up battles, you would know who you wanted to put against who, right? I mean, yeah. You'd want to put Taylor Ray versus uh, Taylor Hole, right? I mean, come on. Yeah, that's, 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 the, that's the battle you want to do. So, I mean, uh, you know, uh, everybody would have their own set of people that they would want to do that and, like, set right. that up as an exhibition. That's what I think would be more entertaining than, you know, watch these two, watch this battle of these two people, you know, they, they've been battling back and forth. I mean, that's when we start screaming at Clutch Kickers, it's because this is a battle that is, like, you know, that has happened or. They've, they've, some, well, this one's won, the other drivers won, and now this is like the tiebreaker. You know, it's something that make it exciting, right? And that's what it yeah. needs to be a constant feed of, Almost of excitement. Like a rivalry, but like not, yeah. not an angry rivalry, right? But not an angry rivalry. rivalry but that just, the fans that have been watching for a while anticipate these battles. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember during my, uh, our time at Clutch Kickers and going around talking to some of the drivers, they would actually have their sights set on a particular driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. for for whatever reason, like, and it's not like it was any ill intention. It was perhaps something where they were looking for redemption. Right. Or they were sort of like going, trying to overcome this hurdle that, for instance, there was, there was one driver, not going to name any names. There was one <laughs> driver that was just dead set on taking out somebody. It didn't <laughs> care who you went up against, but... They just wanted to take out this one particular driver in battle and in, in, in drifting right, battle. Right, right, right. Not, not physically. I just want to yeah. clarify some things, but yeah. So they wanted a Tim. You're right there, Bo. What the hell's wrong? No, with you? my not... leg. My leg's cramping. <laughs> you want me to kick you? <laughs> no. Well, that would make me feel so much I, I better. I hope. I would hope. Yeah, so. I got a cramp. Well, why don't we ask Ryan? Uh, so you have any oh. uh, rivals? Any rivalries? Uh, <laughs> any rivalries? Any person that you want to any unfinished business? Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't have any rivalries. I don't I don't think I don't know. I just I never have an itch to like knock out a certain person or anything. I think I'm more so just worried about getting as far as I can before I can worry about, you know, oh, let's take out this guy, this event. You know, I mean, I think we're I'm, I'm more so just trying to, you know, trying to keep our car program in check and and making it as far as we can before we can kind of worry about like, oh, well, I'm going for that guy because he knocked me out next time. Our goal is kind of like, let's get to the position where we can battle that guy again because we never got to the top eight before. So how do we do it again? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Uncle Pat would be a good manager for Ryan. Yeah, yeah. I'd be-, <laughs> be a good manager for Ryan. <laughs> Uncle Pat. Uncle Pat. Yeah. I'm going to get my Uncle Pat here. And then Uncle Pat comes out of like, yeah. out of the curtain, <laughs> out of the curtain <laughs> like, you know, with like a flying elbow or something. <laughs> Oh my, gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That'd be great. Uh, well, we did decide that Tom. Wait, if if well, Uncle Tommy Pat was, decides to get in the ring, then Tommy is going to be his manager. manager. Yeah. Oh, okay. We yeah, just, we did decided uh, that. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. we got to you know settle this already. Oh, okay. But a couple of things uh, talking about uh, Pat. He's in the chat and he wants to uh, make a correction. He wrote, "We do qualifying at LS Fest." So maybe yeah. you weren't paying attention to him. Yeah, no, you know, when I said that, I was like thinking back. I was like, wait, I think I said that wrong. But yeah, we did. did You're always qualifying. wrong. Yeah, I'm always wrong. Yeah. But we did do qualifying. But it's no, there's no protests. I think that's what I was thinking of. They don't, they don't do protests. It's, we're just going to go and they're, the, the call deal is the call. It. You deal with, you deal with the call and you keep going on because at the end of the day, it, it's, it's a show. It really is. It's supposed to be a friendly competition, not to be taken like a formula drift competition. Exactly. Uh, and the other thing, well, the other thing he wrote, uh, that Pat agrees with Paul that exhibition is going to be the future of uh, going drifting. Yeah, I think that it really has to be. Yeah, that idea piqued my interest. That's not something that I thought about, but that kind of goes on to the thing of like, think about drag racing, for example, right? Like, 
I was never into drag racing, but how did I get into like watching it? I would never do it personally, but how did I get into watching it? Me and dad watching Street Outlaws. Why do you come back to Street Outlaws yeah, every week? Because you want to watch this guy beat this guy yeah, to get yeah. to this point. And he hit the nail on the head with that. I've never even thought of that. Yeah. But if you hook these people in, because I'm not, I have no interest in drag racing. I was watching Street Outlaws before I even knew how to drive a car, but I liked it even when I didn't like cars because there was that, there was that drive. There was like, I want to see Big Chief beat Murder Nova next week. And yeah. I'm going to come watch it live so that I'm I can see you. that happen. Well, so he's right. That's that's hmm. he's on to something with that. So, you know, so that just now bringing up Street Outlaws, because I love that show. They have like a top 10. OK. And, they ha- and these top 10 drivers have battle each other to gain status. That's right? what I'm saying. I've so you get, you, yeah. get, you get. Well, you didn't say clear enough. Oh, <laughs> I said it last episode. Yeah, so, but he or made the episode so much clear. Oh, yeah. It's just when he says it. Huh? No, but he brought it when he said Street Outlaws. I'm like, oh. No, but you have the same drivers, the same okay. top 10 drivers. You have a top 10 list. And then other drivers can petition to battle number 10, right? And then number 10 battles, and everybody's trying to work their way to be the top. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, what, kind of what I said. Not really. You that's didn't exactly structure. You didn't did. structure. You I just did said too. exhibition. You blah, 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 exhibition, blah, blah, blah. Just goes to show how much you listen to me. Yeah. Anyways, no, uh, see, it would be really cool, I think. I think it's... You have to like knock out the guy to get up the ranks, right? And, right. You know, and now build a fan yeah. base too, because now you have this these these drivers that people are wanting to um, see them take out somebody else. Yeah, it can be all the smack talk in between. Yeah, and you do smack talk. <laughs> we feel, well, you, see, you can't really put money on it because then the judges are really going to be under pressure. The call goes the wrong way. I mean, that's no, gonna, no. I might get a little no, tense. No money. But I think that would be a better setup. I mean, I mean, think about like anytime you throw Adam's name in the mix, you're going to get thousands of people to come over and watch. So yeah. if Adam's going against, you know, Chelsea, Adam versus Chelsea, oh my God, what the hell? Yeah. We're going to watch that. Well, you, like I said, you get a top 10, dry, uh, top 10 list of, of drifters and you just start off, you do a, like one day where you get like 30 drivers out there and the top 10 of that event fills the top 10 and then you just have these top 10 drivers and you promote it and you just do these invitationals or exhibitions where everybody's trying to move up in the rank and then somebody's trying to new guys trying to come in and take out number 10. Hmm. And that's how you have. This is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you, I like this. I want to see this happen. Now. Yeah. Cause, cause I mean, if you watch street outlaws, I mean like, I love that show. Yeah. That's exactly what they do. And there's smack yeah. talking and call outs. Right. That's pretty cool. Hmm. We got to work on this. Yeah, because the way it works is that the there, you don't have to call. So if you're number seven, you don't have to call number six out. Like if you don't want to race, but if somebody calls you out, you have to race them, hmm. right? So if you're like number one, doesn't call anybody out. Number two has got to call them out. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, huh? Hmm. Um, hmm. <clears throat> there is another question in the chat from Joseph who asks, uh, "Who is Ryan's dream person to battle against?" Hmm. Oh, my dream person to battle against, without a doubt, Ryan Turk. Oh, wow. Uh, Ryan, yeah, Ryan was like the first person uh, when I was really young and drifting and watching it on YouTube. But I first was kind of getting a grasp for understanding FD and everything. He was like the first guy that I really idolized and I really loved his driving style, his character, who he is as a person. 
you know, the way that he treats fans, it was always like really cool to me. I watched like the Turk series, like mm-hmm. even though it was a couple years after it had all been filmed and posted, I went back and watched all that when I first discovered drifting. And I thought it was really cool for a while. I was like, I want a 2JZ FRS, like 86 chassis. That's it. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I met him the first time I went to Formula Drift when I was I want to say 13 or 14 years old and I'll, it'll resonate with me till this day. You know, my dad and I looked at him and we said he my dad looked at him and said he wants to get into drifting and he's like really set on it. And, you know, Ryan looked at my dad and he was like, he was like, you know, you're going to make that happen. He was like, you know, you can do it. You can. It was it was it's not one of those cliche things. It was like you could do anything. You say reminds me. He was like, he was like, get out there when you can. As soon as you can do it, do it and make it happen. And, you know, that always kind of resonates with me anytime I'm, you know, even when I'm just getting back behind the wheel, I'm like, kind of look how far we've come, you know, you know, it's just, just, it's, it's, it all starts from like a stem like that with someone like that really looking you in the eye, someone that you idolize that, you know, you see on YouTube and TV and like, that's like the figure for you. And they're telling you like, don't give up on your dream kid. Cause we were all just that kid with a dream. Anybody who's ever made it to the top of something, whether it's a sport celebrity they all started as just a kid without without that hadn't got into what they're famous for and i think like everybody's got to kind of needs to carry that mindset because everybody's capable of everything if you just set your mind to it and, and as cliche as it sounds like that's how i look at drifting i'm like there's no reason i can't be you know the next right. james dean it might take me 10 15 20 years but if i just dedicate everything to it and listen and soak up all the information and advice i can like a sponge why can't i be that next person you know and everybody can be that next person yeah Absolutely. I got, I got a question for you. A couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, it's simple. If you could go to any track in the world and drift, spend like, you know, a week there, what, what do you have a track in mind that you would want to go to that? Maybe you just always watch videos and you're like, Oh man, that's the place I'd want to go if I can go anywhere. Yeah, for sure. Two definitely stick out to me. And one of them is probably going to sound really boring because it's not like a crazy technical track, but Texas Motor Speedway on like the 2018 era, like FD layout. Yeah. I absolutely love that track. Like the, the straight run up, mm-hmm. grab the handbrake, literally stay pinned the entire course. And there's a couple opportunities for you to throw some big angle and style in there. Um, I think if I had the car that could run it like really well, that would like be the first place that I go mm-hmm. like to test. Like, I think that would be sick. Just throw a right. big angle all out throttle. I think that track looks so cool to get doors on. And I actually had the opportunity to go out and watch the last FD Texas event at that track. So I watched it in person when I was like really entry into drifting, like early with just the VQ car pre clutch kickers and all that. And I was like, that track is sick. And then another one is the, uh, I think it's called like horse thief mile. It's like the huge, like desert mountain track out in Cali. That track looks absolutely insane. Like it looks like you can have an endless amount of fun there. Like there's, it just, it it seems like there's, there's like no chance of a dull moment, the elevation. I see them packing it with like six car trains, like all Mm -hmm. high horsepower cars. I'm like, what are these guys, this is insane. It's like so different than what we do on the skid pad. But like, I want to, I want to get out there and try that at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it looks fun. I always like to go out and venture out to other tracks. And I guess my other question is, um, home at night and you want to watch something drifter related, whether it be a cartoon or whether it be uh, maybe not so drift related, but like um, option, old option videos, what, what would be your go to show or YouTube channel to go to? Man, I didn't really dive into anything drifting wise and still don't unless it's on YouTube. Um, all that kind of stuff, okay. just like never really appealed to me like the old option stuff i was like kind of i was kind of i mean I, I don't even know if i was born when that stuff was like really becoming popular mm-hmm. but uh definitely i kind of watch 
I like to branch out and watch a lot of stuff, but I really like watching Chelsea's videos uh, just because, like I said, I like to view things as like if you're a sponge and you can absorb everything, then you can apply that to yourself and your own program. And what I love about Chelsea is he's 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 one of those guys where he doesn't try and gatekeep secrets and he doesn't try and hold on to some piece of advice or knowledge so that other people can't take it for themselves and learn and make themselves competitive. Uh, and, you know, he, he drops all these videos with all these like technical tips on how to set up your car. Uh, advice on things for like running programs and that kind of stuff is really cool to watch to me because it's like while I'm watching it I'm just like how can I apply these to our program and how can me and dad learn from this and try and take our stuff to the next level and, and just be like more effective overall so 100% Chelsea's content yeah. for me yeah it's one thing I, that you know I love Chelsea that he does those things and and I think that that he still does it after how many years He's giving advice to people, and they just kind of like, yeah, they kind of shrug them off. They don't want to listen to him, right? Yeah. So, and definitely, uh, props to Chelsea for still having a heart for the drifters and trying to spread the knowledge. Yeah, Paul said that he um, he was wrong in a lot of things since uh, he took his class, right? Paul, you want to elaborate on? I that? I was wrong in a lot of things. No, 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 that you said that Chelsea was wrong in a lot of things. Ch- I said Chelsea was wrong. Yeah, you what? Don't remember? <laughs> no, I don't remember that. Oh man, you're. What did I say she was wrong about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You got to look back at a couple of episodes. I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about. I think you're messing with me. With you. <laughs> messing with me. What did I, I didn't say anything yeah. bad about Chelsea. All right, Ryan, uh, <laughs> give a shout out to your sponsors um, and anybody else that you want to say thank you to that's helped you with the program. And, and um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, obviously, the first and like biggest thanks goes out to my mom and dad for pretty much believing in me and, and you know, dedicating 195,000 million percent of their life and what they do into trying to give me the best opportunity that I can to really make something happen. Uh, just the fact that they believe in me enough to dedicate their whole, you know, life and extra spare time and to go into the track and, you know, better in the car and putting me in a better position to where I can try and make something happen. That means like the absolute world and it's something I'll never let go of and it's something I'll always cherish and, and hopefully one day be able to provide with my kids. Uh, but for our uh, program partners, huge thank you to ISR Performance, BC Racing, Spectuned, Grip Royal, Kanzai, Locals Pub, Radium Engineering. All these guys like came on board and believe in us and you know give us what we need to try and stay on track uh, and remain as competitive as possible and just you know, try and make the dream happen. And they're believers in us and we're believers in their products and the services they offer. And, you know, I'm glad we're able to make a mutually, you know, beneficial partnership to try and grow drifting in our program and their company. And I think it means a lot. So thank you to all of you guys. Yeah. Well, um, we, we talked about the giveaway so that anybody that, well, we're ending the show. So he's, we're only, if you're, we're going to be ending the show soon. So yeah, yeah that's the last well, chance. I didn't want to, Oh, we're going to go over one topic after we, yeah. we okay, after after we leave you, Ryan, we're going to go over one topic. So what's the giveaway again? So then people still have some time to um, enter. Yeah, so for sure. Um, all you need to do is just take a picture of the stream. doesn't matter if I'm on it or not. Just a picture of you watching the stream or a screenshot if you're on mobile device. Uh, and then tag at Drift Sessions and at my Instagram at Ryan Acevedo, R-Y-A-N-A-C-E-V-E-D-O on Instagram story. Uh, that way we can kind of keep a log of who mentioned us. Uh, and just put hashtag giveaway as well as mention both of us. Uh, and then, you know, I'll get you set up and entered. And then I'll have something drawn uh, by the end of the night or tomorrow morning once we kind of fizzle out uh, people entering. I want to like give people as much time as possible. So, Well, Ryan, I want to thank you for your time here. It's been an honor to watch you grow as a driver. And we're excited to see what things are going to come for you in, in the years to come. And we know you're not going anywhere. And we love your dedication. And like I said, we just look forward to 
watching you grow old like us and be up there and and you know who knows what the world has for you you know what the future has for you so keep going the way you're going and uh we're definitely proud of you the way you're doing where you're going now yeah i and i appreciate that so much you guys have been a huge part of everything i love seeing you guys at the track you guys were some of the early guys that really tried to interview me and give me a little bit of media content uh you know just a foot in the door to the drifting community on social media uh and i really appreciate that from you guys you know you guys being veteran drivers and seeing something something in me to to talk to me and create some content for me for social media it means a lot and even you know even now it still means a lot you know so i appreciate that a lot seriously all right ryan we look forward to seeing you hopefully soon at the next event um until then yes sir it's good chat with you guys all right thanks ryan have a good night all right have a good night all right <clears throat> what's the other thing you want to talk about uh yeah well so he, he sent us a list he sent us a list he sent us a list i don't even know oh I'm gosh, gonna turn, turn the tv pick... off because i have oh, i hang on let me wait what's what's, what's i gotta i gotta fix it don't worry okay yeah just give, give us a quick moment folks while we uh get resituated again yeah so that way everybody knows it's, there's uh, a lot of different well so okay so while you were doing that paul you ordered a body kit for your car i ordered some really crappy Fiberglass. Did it come yeah. in? No, I haven't heard it. I haven't seen well, it. How do you know it's crappy? It's uh, every review online about JP fiberglass <laughs> is horrible. Oh, really? But it's okay. It's okay. It's, it's a body old. kit for a car that really doesn't have any body kits, or at least nothing that looks decent. So, and you get to wrap it. So, and I love BN. So it's like a BN style kit. So I, I love BN styles kit. I'm an old school kind of yeah yeah BN guy. So. Uh, I, it's gonna look. I think it's gonna look good. I mean, it'll be that twenty foot look, you know. Yeah, no, that's all you need. Well, look, look out my fenders. This is how yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not really doing much. I don't know if you see in the camera, but yeah, I'm not really planning on do too much, but just wrap it, <laughs> <laughs> and it'll look good driving by. You won't even know. Full full plate up. Yeah, yeah, full full plate up. <laughs> right. Yeah, and my car, I'm I'm really like excited because it's really it's it's really getting close to being start started up. Like closer uh, never moving been. a moving uh, metal sharp object. Metal, yeah, metal <laughs> sharp object. <laughs> but anyhow, I just you gotta run the some, water lines. You put windshield in before you can call it like running. Well, I'm talking about if I can get this thing started, <laughs> like, and I can get it to the. Dyno like I feel without, like if you, I, but I can get it to the. Dyno I feel, I feel like you, you, you know, you say running, and like you, you think all the rest of the stuff is just gonna grow on it, like it will. Mold, like mold. Yeah, or it's just like mold. Like it's just gonna grow just up. like mold. Like as soon as you get it like, moving see, under its own power, as soon as I start the, it'll engine, start putting its windows yeah, back yeah, on. Put the and, windows back on, and the AC will get installed. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying. Like, yeah, like you mean, oh, it's about, it's about ready to go. Yeah, it is about ready to go. The interiors. I just got to put the seat back in. Yeah, that's okay. it. Okay, yeah. you're almost there. Home stretch. I am. Then. I'm almost there. Yeah, yeah. closer okay. than I've ever been. But you know. uh, yeah, indeed. Yes. Okay. So uh, the one of the other things we wanted to talk about is that this. Here we go. <clears throat> There's actually been an update with the uh, Catch My Drift website. Okay. Sweet. Um, <clears throat> So as you recall, last time we checked out the website, there wasn't a lot of information, but one of the major things that popped up was, I think I believe was a judging criteria. Yeah, that wasn't there before. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there okay, you go. Good, there you go. So the page has been updated with judging criteria. Talks about the maximum tire size that they're allowed to run, which is 265, oh, which I think they them. announced at the yeah. Instagram, but at least now it's on the website. People mm -hmm. can go and... Uh, check it out themselves. They obviously watch your uh, episode. In, in case you're wondering, it's uh, cmdrift.com, by the way. Um, cmdrift.com. Cmdrift. Okay, qualifying works. 
Ah, uh, so this is it's cat that forty eight. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Following drivers uh drivers meeting, a random drawing will take place. Yes. Oh, so no, so no qualifying. Yes. Yeah, I love go. that. Yeah. I like that. Because because it is I both, hate qualifying. Because it is both <laughs> time consuming and boring to watch. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, yes. That and it says good. here the best driver. That day will win the event regardless. Well, I mean, that's that's no, no, I mean, no, it, it becomes, a, a it becomes an endurance race at some point. No, but bit, what they're but, saying is that, yeah, I get it. I mean, you, even be, if they qualify high, right? The, still, at the end of the day, the best driver is going to win. But wait, wait, hold on. Why for wait, hold 48? 48. So, what? I don't know. That don't make any sense. Hey, I didn't make the rules, I didn't write the, no, the text. They, but wait, hold on. Well, okay, we're holding. But capped why at 48. capped at 48? Okay. So it's going to be a top 32, right? I assume. I see what you're saying. Uh, oh, well, so that maybe, means maybe top 48 then. And it's going to be random. Okay. So what so about if Adam shows up, random pick, he doesn't get in the top 32, he goes home? Hmm. Is that what we're saying here? Uh, I see I what know. you're saying. I, I like the random pick. So I guess the question is. How do you, you do a top 48? Can you do a top 48? Uh, I don't have a bracket in yeah, front of me to be curious. able to. I mean, I would I guess. Maybe you can. You maybe can. maybe there's a top yeah, 48 bracket and they're just going to do 48 drivers. But there's a good top chance eight of those drivers are going to break something. Yes, indeed. Or more than that. So uh, I'm kind of curious. Maybe, maybe it explains. Uh, and, and just to clarify, we were seeing this for the first time. Yes. I mean, yeah, I saw that it was posted. I was like, oh, we, we've got to mention this because right. this wasn't here uh, the last time around. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually glad that this is up and now drivers have something to look forward to. But more right. information to, to look forward to. Or maybe questions that they want to ask because they may be able to get, to ask those, get their questions answered soon, right? Exactly. Uh, let's see. All well, obviously, all vehicles must pass the tech. Um, and also, uh, just getting a word in the chat that uh, Patrick Gooden writes 265, but you could run a 100 treadwear tire, and he feels that is very dumb. Okay, but okay. Uh, in any case, going back. So if you're gonna limit the width, you should limit the limit uh, the tread limit wear. the treadwear as well. Exactly. Yeah, okay, I see. <clears throat> um, so practice maximize. Oh, so they want to maximize practice uh, for the drivers. Takes ten thousand hours to become an, an expert in anything. What? <laughs> well, uh, this guy a mathematical. Uh, uh, okay, uh, he, genius here. Hey, I don't know. Maybe he's done the math. He he has. To, he's done the research. Takes exactly ten thousand hours. Uh, you cannot become an expert. Operator. They will solicit the readiness of each driver. Okay. All right. Chicanes may be used this season at the discretion of the judging panel. Okay. A three strike rule. Well, that's pretty obvious. You know, for restarts. Okay. Elimination rounds, driver repair. But did they think about the track hitting the guy's tire? Did they think about that? That uh, is a they, very important Did they point. talk about, did they, have they thought about that? Because that's stuff that happens. Great point. The track yeah, may the attack. Pavement, the pavement may attack tires. May contact, may, yes. Strike back. May strike back. <laughs> the pavement, we've seen it in the past, where well, the pavement struck back. And knocked off a tire. knocked off DB, a tire. DB, DB the yeah, tire. The pavement collided with the tire. Not the there, <laughs> there needs to be a rule set for the pavement. Yes. <laughs> Boundaries. Boundaries. Like hands off, buddy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. Don't touch me you above can, my knee. Yeah, you could be here, but under certain conditions. Under certain conditions. Yes, exactly. Yes. All right. Uh, going back over to this, uh, judging criteria, uh, perfect line, nothing crazy, expectations. Okay, we've seen that. Tandem zeros. 
I mean, okay, that's standard, standard. Nothing crazy. Okay. Damage due to I I'm just Oh, damage. He just okay. he's skimming. Vehicle oh. service during tandem. Vehicle service, so like you can go get your like not, your tires uh, rotated. Not to be serviced anyway. <laughs> May call one time competition timeout necessary repairs. Okay, competition timeouts are not to be used for strategic purposes. Only repairs. All wait, right. wait, wait. What? This right. Is, so you just, can't just use a competition timeout to throw somebody off. Is kind of what they're saying. Right there. Okay. Well, the driver designated team representative will allow to request a competition timeout. Okay. Uh, Why are tire changes not permitted during competition timeout? Oh, really? Yeah. Where does he see that? Right there. Tire oh, for changes. repairs only. Tire, no tire pressure or suspension. No, up, no, tire changes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that's normal. I guess that's normal, right? Okay. All right. We'll go with that. Timeout procedure. Oh, wait. You guys want to uh, check this out? The protest? Oh, so there are protests. Oh. oh. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and see here. To protest the judge's call, you must speak with the official or competition director. They will speak to the judges before allowing a protest to move forward. The driver is not permitted to approach the judge's tower for any reason once the battles have commenced. Approaching the judges will result in automatic disqualification and a dismissal of any large protest. Crew members of the disqualified driver are also included in the disqualification. Likewise, if a crew or team member approaches the judge's tower, it will result in automatic disqualification. Good. Judges have a 10-minute time limit from the moment the protest's form is turned to render a decision and relay it to the liaison for decimation. Uh, wait, decimation? Yeah, there we go. After the decision is rendered. Uh, there's there a price? I don't see anything. Oh, is man. there a price? They I may, thought I saw a price somewhere. They may want to put a price on there. They do define subjective. Wait, go down. Okay. <clears throat> okay, definition subjective and objective. Oh, there's more to it. Okay. You can have protest a subjective call. Know the difference. Ha! <laughs> you think that's going to stop people? Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, you can protest objective qualifying score based criteria. Wait, but if they're not doing if they're not doing qualifying, how would that apply? You know what I mean? This part here. Yeah, you can put this objective qualifying score based criteria. Okay. Yeah, wait. Okay. They just copy and paste. Okay. Yeah, that's what that, yeah. That's a cut and paste. All right. You can protest objective qualifying score based on criteria. Okay. Yeah. Because there's no qualifying score. So. Okay. All right. Well, they don't need it's to just say, In this section, it should say qualifying is whack. Yeah. 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 It should go. <laughs> no, it's unnecessary. It should, it should uh, complement the other yeah. section. Yeah. Qualifying is whack. Again, they very uh, can't stress this enough. Do not, Do not approach, approach judges. them, judges. Good. Stay away from them, judges. Yeah, okay, drivers are protesting times. Okay, oh, top okay, forty-eight like to top forty, the top thirty-two, top forty-eight, the top before, thirty-two. So they are doing. I guess there is a top forty-eight bracket then. Yeah, so that's what it is. Yep. Oh, there you go. Okay, oh, we got confirmation. Yeah, how does that? Right, look, man, they they have the math. All right. If they yeah, obviously 10,000 10, hours, 10,000 hours. If you figured out 10,000 hours, they can figure it out. A top 48. 48. Okay. Okay. Uh, All right. Now I found it. There we go. This is very important for anybody that's interested oh, okay. in competing. Protest cost. Oh, $200. The, okay. Here's the but question is it, for you is, guys. It, is it in cash or is it in uh, Bitcoin? Ah, okay, that's a question. <laughs> but do you think, do you guys feel that is enough? No. No. Paul, you say it. no. No. Tim, do you say that's enough? 
Uh, yeah, I say that's enough because um, their first. Yeah, I think that's enough. So I, I think the majority of drivers. I don't. I guess it depends on the level of driver. It really depends on the level of drivers that come. Ah, up, okay. Right, because if it's mostly grassroots guys, two hundred dollars is gonna be enough. Like if I went out, I'd be like. I ain't paying 200 bucks. Do you, okay, let me ask you this. Do you feel that it also depends on the type of protests that are being uh, brought forth? Yes. Like, what? you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, if. I think it should be an adjustable rate. Wait, what? An adjustable rate based on uh, the stupidity. Uh, oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Stupidity. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I see where you're going with this. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, protest form presented only by the driver or the driver's representative. Okay, drive. Oh, cash. Here we go, Paul. Here's your answer. Oh, it is cash. That's not Must present two hundred dollars in cash with okay. the protest form at the same time. The protest. And you got your protest here, Paul. You want to start filling this out already? Okay. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Just have it ready. Uh. Oh, hey, look. And it seems like another. They're gonna have a live section stream. of track to discuss for video for video to pull or live stream timestamp. Live streams timestamp. Okay. Yeah, you get it? Yeah, tramp stamp. Got it. Okay, good. Okay. And um, sign below your protest. The decision is overturned. You'll be refunded two hundred dollars and you'll be granted another protest form should you need it in the future. Okay. Well, better have uh, a lot of these uh, protest forms ready to pass out. Okay, championship well, points. Championship points. Okay. Wait. First place gets two points. Second place gets four points. So was who is the least amount of points at the end of the Okay, uh, each competitor this. will also receive two points for participating in the event, and for each one after, the points will double. So first gets two, two second gets four. Wait. Events. Those are event points. Oh, okay. Event you get event so points. You get extra points for doing consecutive events. That's not a bad idea. Okay, all right. If I guess that tries to get people... Wait, to- you get... Okay, the first event, you get two points. The second event, you get four points. Right. And the fifth event, you get 32 points. So you could right. just so you could you could beat people just by showing up. If they don't show up, yeah. If you don't show up, yeah. Oh. It's the incentive, as I guess, to try to get people to do the whole all five rounds. Huh. Right? Because it says if you do all five rounds, you'll get sixty-two points mm. just doing all five rounds. Okay. Not like that's enough to you know to win, but because right. like, tandem bracket first place gets a hundred, second place gets eighty. If you go down a little bit more, you get the actual points for placement. But it does play a, a role. Mm-hmm. Okay. What kind of person are they giving away? Okay. So I guess. Oh, so if you oh, get a, if you get elim- on Paul, Paul if has- you get eliminated in the top forty eight, you get nothing other than your your uh, achieve your um participation your participation award your participation like participation uh, yeah, participation points pilot participation points participation yes yes indeed okay. Uh, purse. Obviously, first. first place five thousand dollars. Second place three thousand dollars. Third place two thousand. And fourth, you get free entry to this to the next round. Cheap on coming. Non transferable. Oh, that's very important. Really looks like they're trying to make people attend the back. event. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to hook you in. Yeah, first, first one's free. First one's free. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting, uh, gentlemen. What are your uh, thoughts on this so far? Um, I have a lot of questions. Yeah, I think the major question is. I mean, I just looked up a forty, a forty-eight um, bracket tournament. Yeah, tournament bracket, okay. elimination single elimination bracket, and you have what for thirty-two drivers in the first round of elimination, and then your other. So basically, 
from what's what is it? Forty two is ten, so fifteen driver no. Sixteen drivers. Sixteen drivers are going to get a buy in the first round of competition. Thirty two. Okay. No, yeah, I got yeah, 10. it'll be sixteen. Yes. Yeah, so so it will either be that the top sixteen get a buy or the bottom sixteen have to battle it out. You think? Well, I mean the way the way the bracket lays out is that you have a top thirty two and then after the top that top thirty two, those those that advance on from that that, that six those sixteen winners mm-hmm. go and there's a whole nother set the way it works. So basically it's like sixteen guys will get a buy run for the first round of competition. Oh okay. and those that those top sixteen in that first round of thirty two will go against another set of sixteen and then you begin another thirty two bracket all the way down to the end. Kind of weird. Different. It is. And uh I just want to mention that you have questions, and yes. um, it just so happens that uh, one of the representatives reached out to us, mm-hmm. and we're trying to work a time and a place for us to, uh, for them to come on board, come on the show, and have some of our questions answered, and perhaps some of the viewers too that are, are looking to either mm-hmm. just see what the event is about or looking to compete in the event. And those drivers that have questions can tune in and do a Q and A, right? Or it could just be like a drivers meeting. You can. It could be like a driver's meeting, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, if, I mean, if you don't that, attend, if you don't watch, you can't attend the first round. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, well, that'd be cool. That'd That's be one something. way to push up ratings. Extra yeah. the drift session points. Extra drift session points. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you attend the drift sessions meeting. You yeah. Can. All right. So if you have any questions or concerns or comments, I guess. I like the no qualifying. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. The purse it's is good. It's the top 48 that's going to be kind of different. purse is good. Right. The, the top 48, I looked at it now. It's not as bad as I thought. So, you know, uh, I think it makes sense. I, I think it was hard for clutch kickers to get 60, right? So I think a top 48 makes more sense than a top 60. And they're doing it all in four. one day, right? It's a one-day event. Mm-hmm. right? The top so 64 was hard to get. Qualifying and everything. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just too much. So eliminate the qualifying, bringing it down to what, uh, you know, they're probably going to get more than 48 drivers. So I don't, I well, guess. So, but this, that's the thing is that you have 48. You I know guess they're capping it at 48. You full so well you know, know that there's going to be at least eight of those drivers, six or seven of those drivers that are going to break or maybe don't show up that day. Something's going to happen. Well, I don't, think, I've done, really I don't think we've ever gone to an event. Where everybody that registered and showed up competed. No, even clutch kickers. It was like guys so that you, just right. were break on practice. Sometimes. Right, exactly. So that that you may still end up only doing a top thirty two. Knows. Yeah. No, I think it's gonna. Yeah. I think they may just be able to buy a lot of buys and just right go right to top thirty two. Yeah, it's random. It's just it's, yeah. So uh, you know, luck of the draw. Yep. Right. <laughs> well that's that so in the, it's in the works uh if we um if it does come to fruition then we'll uh, let everybody know what's going on um one of the last things i wanted to mention it's sort of uh, a bit of a topic and i'll just be uh, brief about it is that i had a uh interesting experience with an electric vehicle oh. wait, wait one second whoa 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 <laughs> Okay, and I can't remember the the pinnacle was a pinnacle. There's there's another brand of electric car that when you go to rent a car, they offer it. 
It's certain, like it was in Tallahassee. Like when you wanted to rent a car, they they offered a free upgrade to an electric vehicle. Uh-huh. You didn't have to pay, obviously, pay for gas or anything to refill it or recharge it. Uh huh. But I forget it. It was um. It's not Tesla. It was something else. I can't remember the name of it. Anyways, go ahead. Was it Hertz? Hertz was the brand. Was was the was the. Um, so you're talking about you? Who who was the manufacturer? The manufacturer of the electric vehicle. It had oh. to be a Toyota or a. No, no, no it, it could it, it could it be was um, like some could be Polestar. Polestar. That's what it was. Oh. Polestar. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Okay. So go ahead. Yeah, I've been seeing a couple of those. So, yeah. um, so I often, every once in a while, just take a trip over to Orlando, a day trip, and it just so happens this time around there was an opportunity to rent uh, an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. and that piqued my interest because it just popped up, and I was like, "Hey, let's see what this thing is all about." Mm-hmm. Because the other thing too is that I wanted to see if what the big hoopla is all about if whether or not if evs are you know can fit what i want in a vehicle a couple of things here and there but those are like the two major things to try to find out and i'll try to summarize some of it because i don't want to like bore everybody uh, with all the details but uh i will say that there was a lot of surprises a lot more frustrations than what i expected oh really and and it it quickly went down to like a uh, conclusion. Okay. And so now, mind you, you're renting a vehicle to go from Miami to Fort Lauderdale and back. No, 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 no. I'm renting a vehicle to go from Miami to Orlando. That's what I meant. Yeah. You just said Fort Lauderdale. Come on. Miami. Yeah. I was like, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm just trying to be quick. That way I didn't lose you. From Miami yeah. to Orlando and back. Right. In a weekend or no, one day? In one day. In one day. Okay. In one day. What do you mean? I can't do that. Go ahead. Let him finish. Yeah. That's roughly what? That's roughly 170, 178 miles or something like that? No. It's actually roughly about 240 miles up. And of course, if you travel about so it, it's probably like, like two fifty, like five hundred miles. Okay, go ahead. So as you were, yeah, like roughly five hundred miles round trip. Okay. okay, so and this is something if anybody else is looking to do the same, uh, I guess these are some things to watch out for. So when you get the vehicle, right? Usually, when you get a regular car, you get um, typically a full tank of gas. Obviously, there's sometimes surprises that it's like it's not full or it's like halfway, but you could usually just get by to your destination. Like I've been, I've had vehicles where it's like maybe a quarter, uh, three quarters of a full tank. Right. But that's, and I still able to get to Orlando at least. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. This thing was at 63%. <laughs> and at 63%, it tells me that it was a range of 165 miles. So evidently right off the bat, it's not going to make it. You're not going to get so there. that's <laughs> already going to add to, and this is going to be a recurring theme to this whole trip. And one of the major reasons why this isn't going to work out for me, at least, at least, you know, at this point in the EV's uh, stage is that already you have to worry about charging it. And you don't, you can't, it's not like obviously a gas station where you could just go five minutes, top up, it take off. Know. Right. Right. You have to find a station, mm-hmm. go there, and then charge it for however long it takes because depending on the vehicle also determines the charge rate of what the vehicle is capable of and how many people are charging at the same time exactly so 
to kind of go on with the story of how my experience went with the first uh, charging station, it was not necessarily along the way of where I had to go. So here's the thing. I have a predetermined route that I go mm-hmm. uh, to go to Orlando. Turns out that this predetermined route I can't take because there's no charging stations along the way mm. for me to actually ch- recharge the vehicle to make it to my destination in Orlando. Wow. So that means that now I have to deviate course so that way I have the charge to recharge to go over to uh, Orlando. So then that, of course, just the change in the plans. I go to the first station to charge and it's roughly, it says it, it takes roughly about 30 minutes to go from the, actually at that point I got there like at with like 50 something percent. So I had to go to charge it at a hundred, right? Okay. Charge it at a hundred. And then I had to, so that's 30 minutes. Took you 30 minutes to charge it to a hundred. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So then obviously I can't make it over to my destination because it's not apparently because depending on which model and oh uh, let range. me clarify i should have i should have uh, clarified it was a tesla model 3 oh okay that i was given so you're driving a Tesla. so okay. turns out that with depending on model will determine the range mm-hmm. you have your base model that has a range of 273 miles you have a long range model that has a range of, I think, uh, 384. Then you have a performance one. I have, well, take a guess which one they gave me. The base. The base. Yeah. But that's 273 miles. 200, 273 miles on ideal conditions. Oh. Think about it. No wind, moon. That's <laughs> ideal conditions. <laughs> think about it. Okay. And, and that's not taken into account if you decide to use uh, any of the extra features that the car has. Oxygen, air conditioning. Exactly. So that's not taking into account any of the extra features you want to use, like for instance, AC, headlights, headlights, or whatever, or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. So my next stop was in, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, Port St. Lucie. Okay. All right. Stop there, and I ended up with about I think forty to fifty percent again. Okay. So you could take a guess how long it took for me to recharge. Yeah, but you could have made it to well, Fort St. Lucie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you may. I don't know if you'd have made it. No, I did. I, I would have. Forty. So, mm. and that's the thing. Like, this is okay. You have to look at it from the viewpoint of somebody that has never done a road trip with an electric vehicle. I didn't know what to expect. I know that the the range is an estimate. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the final amount that you're going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. So then there, there's that bit of range anxiety that comes about when having this. Right. Because you don't want to be just stranded in the middle of nowhere yeah. because you ran out of a juice. Yeah. So I went charged up, topped up, I guess, whatever. That was another 30 minutes. Wow. So then I... If I recall correctly, then that that's already puts me at one hour of additional time of additional time just, just, time, just to charge, just to get there. Right. Exactly. Okay. Just to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. So then I charge it again and then I'm able to actually get to where I got to go. With how much did you have? Uh, and then with, I think at the end it ended up being, um, another like 30 to 40%. And then you had a, then, then you had to charge again. Well, let me let me tell you let me tell you a couple of other okay. things okay. here and there along okay. the way. 
uh, highlight some of the things that uh, I experienced just with the vehicle itself, just ignoring the charging part. Mm. Something happened with the computer. <laughs> All right. Oh. Now, here's the thing. If you know a Tesla Model 3, you know that the majority of the components is are on the display. Model, yeah, display, yeah. Right? So immediately one of the things that really bugged me was how do you adjust the side mirrors? There's no button or toggle or anything on the doors handles to be able to do it yeah, manually. Do it you have to go through a series of menus Ugh. on the display. And then once you get there, you have to utilize the little uh buttons and mm. knobs on the steering wheel in order to be able to make the adjustments. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's that. Um, the vehicle had the simple autopilot feature, okay. meaning that it'll auto steer and do the cruise control if the, distancing. And the distancing the and everything. Distancing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and that actually worked great on the highway. Okay. So that was actually, uh, that was good to deal with. So you take a nap. No, because it so the system has a way based on the force that you give it on the steering wheel with your hands to be able to determine whether or not you're paying attention. Okay. So, like for instance, if it notices you, you uh, you're not applying any sort of force, then the system will start reminding you, and then after a while, then it'll be like, okay, buddy, you gotta freaking you know get out of this. Well, how much force can you put on a steering wheel if you're going straight? Uh, good question. <laughs> just, yeah. Well, okay, may, anyways, may, maybe the system knows something that I don't. Okay, all right, all right. So there's that. Um, but so the autopilot is great on the highway. The autopilot on the street is freaking horrible. I hate it. Hmm. Once I dealt with it, like within two to three minutes, I immediately shut it off because the way how it's the gauges the distance of when to stop and go was just infuriating. Like for instance. I have a habit of just if the traffic light, if I see it from a block away, yeah, you being gas. red, you I let off the gas, I let it coast, coast to yeah. stop, and and so forth. This thing will just wait to like um, three quarters of the way, so that way, all of a sudden, you do like a hard break <laughs> to stop. Right. Yeah. Then when it wants to take off, like there's there will be a delay, and then all of a sudden, it wants to ramp up the speed dramatically. Just to be able to get up to speed. Oh, jeez. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's frustrating. Very Not ridiculous, smooth. right? Um, something that I realized afterwards that on my way back down, and I'm going ahead, yeah, but I kind of want to go back, um, is that for whatever reason, and this is the thing that I didn't know about, it freaked me out, and I'm just like, what the heck is going on with this car? I thought it was possessed or something. <laughs> <laughs> the wiper started going. Uh, you know, going it just turned on by itself. I'm like, what the heck? And it wasn't I raining? couldn't I no, it wasn't raining. Yeah, exactly. No okay. rain whatsoever. Mm. Dry. It just started, it activated all by itself. It was going and going and going. And I'm going, and here's the thing, like, because there's no stock for the wipers. Yeah. Really? Yeah, there's no there's Not nothing. for the wipers? There's there, nothing. Well, there is a way, but there's no you it's okay. All, typically on vehicles, yeah, regular vehicles. There mm. will be a dedicated stock for mm. you to adjust the windshield wipers. Right. And for you to apply the uh, the, the nozzles and, yeah. and everything. Yeah. This thing, no. You have to go through... Not, you could either go through the display menu options mm. to get to it, or you could either press Cinnabon to make the adjustment. Did you say Cinnabon? 
No, press <laughs> in uh, button. Gee, there's a big Cinnabon. I was like, man, you just push that this, sounds good. You push this <laughs> Cinnabon. You push, you push on the Cinnabon, one. and, and then the one okay, leaves the wiper start. Sorry. Turns out the reason why this thing turned uh, activated by itself is that because I was using an autopilot, it needed to apply the windshield wipers so that way the windshield is clear enough for the camera that's on the top of the windshield centered so that way it's able to see and utilize the autopilot feature. Uh, so when the windshield wipers came on, also the, the spray came on too? No, it didn't. So that just smears stuff. That doesn't help. Didn't make exactly. It, yeah. oh, okay. it made it worse. I, was gonna say that. It made, I can't see less. <laughs> oh, it's getting worse. I don't Keep know. them going. They didn't think this out oh, very God. well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, it, it only took for me to uh, receive a prompt from the display telling me like, <laughs> hey, the, um, the windshield wipers are on because of the autopilot that I realized like, oh, okay, that's why. And then... If you were to actually have the autopilot on and try to go through the menu options to shut off the uh, the wipers, mm -hmm. it won't let you. Mm. Oh. In order for you to turn off the wipers, you have to shut off the autopilot. Mm -hmm. And then you could go to the menu options and then it'll allow you to select off. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Hmm. Some of the positives. Acceleration is great. Of course. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Acceleration is great. Uh, handling is actually pretty good. Yeah, it felt okay. you know good and nimble, and uh, I was really generally surprised by that. Okay, um, so there's that. So most well, of the weight in those cars is really low. Yeah, yeah, definitely that helps. Um, but just oh well, going back to the whole uh, display thing, how it like went crazy, like it was just so bad that the display w shut off by itself. Oh wow! It shut like While as you I'm were driving, driving, as I'm driving. The system took a, a catastrophic failure and it shut off by itself. So I was just driving. driving with no speedometer or any, or any access to the controls. And you just had to wait for it to reboot. I had to wait for Luckily, see, luckily, thankfully, it rebooted by itself. Whatever it is. I don't know what it was. Maybe I, I, I did a software update along the way. <laughs> I, I was just like, well, maybe it'll sort itself out. Or maybe it the car kept going, right? Yeah, exactly. The car kept going, and, and but I was just flying blind for a bit. So how many times did you have to charge? Four times? Here, so going back to the, to the charging aspect of this whole quest, after I... Uh, was done and I was ready to head back immediately. I had to go and recharge. Right. Obviously here's the thing though, because the weather had gotten so cold that, uh, that brought up another issue when you're dealing with extreme weather, especially cold weather, the uh, rate, the mileage rate is affected by it. Now we're so, talking to those that anybody watched, we're talking a Florida extreme weather. Cold is 36 degrees or yeah. 40, not even, no, cold is like 50 degrees. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> not really cold compared to the rest of the country. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, and I knew this because as you're going over to charge, it's telling you like a mileage may be affected because of cold temperatures. And so it's not only the mileage that's actually getting affected, it's also the charge rate too. Oh, okay. So then here's the thing. You have to worry about the temperature affecting the charge. You have to worry about where you actually, the station itself, because some charging stations output more power than others. Okay. And then you also have to worry about the, the station itself where you're at, because if your station is being shared 
the power is being shared with the person that's next to you, mm-hmm. then you don't get the full power. Mm-hmm. So in the end, you could either end up being, instead of it being like 30 minutes, you could either end up being 40 or 50. Wow. That's frustrating. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so you lost about two and a half, three hours of your trip just in charging. At least. Yeah. And then I had to charge again. So here's the other thing. So I had to charge again at some point in the St. Lucie area. Mm-hmm. And then I had to charge another time. So that way there's enough charge to return the vehicle. Mm. Because the yeah. uh, agency requires that you have it at least at 70%. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. You have it to have it at least 70%. And the what the funny thing is, is that if I would have gone to the last station about maybe like five minutes later than when I got there, I would have had to wait because as soon as I showed up, other people started showing up and the other people actually had to wait for somebody to leave. So that way they could charge. That's yeah. Ridiculous, man. yeah. So in conclusion, <laughs> EVs for me, in my opinion, it's it's not it's a no. Not only are they frustrating to recharge, they're bad for the environment. <laughs> no, I'm serious. They are. They're bad for the environment. Okay. You can't you can't get rid of the battery. You can't recycle them. I mean, to, to, to yeah, you can. You know how much money it takes to recycle that battery? Well, and resources it takes. So you can do it. Oh, but it's not easy. Right. It's right. not cheap, and it's not easy. Right. And there are like the amount of slavery in the Congo mining cobalt for these batteries. Like you just don't. You know, people are in these cars saying, "I'm doing. It's better for the environment." No, you're just you're just moving to pollution somewhere else, and you're 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 on the backs of slave labor. So mm. think about that. You go buy your EV. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. That's a lot of, a lot of EV true. hate. A lot of EV hate there. It is. It's true. EV, oh, yeah. EVs are not good for the environment. And they, they, they. You're outsourcing the pollution. Slave labor, right. You're outsourcing the pollution. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're outsourcing okay. the pollution. You're outsourcing the pollution. Yeah. yeah. Unless they, unless they come up with a good, uh, uh, fusion nuclear, um, power. I'm for that. Uh, also, to add, uh, it's very difficult to put out their their uh, fires too. Yes, yeah, the fires very dangerous. They have to have those tanks where they just drop the car in the tank, mm-hmm. the water tank, for like a couple of days. You've seen that? No. The, the fire the fire departments are equipped with these like tanks that just hold water that where they can just pick up the car and drop it in there and leave it there for days. So not only that, it's 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 increasing <laughs> the amount of increases <laughs> the amount of our taxes it's money that, that needs to be diverted money that needs to be diverted to the fire department to carry in order a, to carry around something to uh, put your pool. damn car out <laughs> when it catches on fire. If your DV catches on fire, we should put it in your pool. Yes, okay, that's <laughs> a good yes. And here, here, gentlemen, gentlemen, I forgot one of the uh, biggest details of it all. Oh, right, because here's the thing. So. Where I went to go uh, recharge the vehicle is at a Tesla supercharger uh, station. Yeah. Right? They shouldn't be allowed to use that name because that's that's a forced induction name. Okay. Supercharger. They supercharger. <laughs> they, they shouldn't, we should sue them for that name. Okay. Okay. But here's the kicker, gentlemen, is that the, 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 I mean, and again, I was just like baffled. So every time you go to charge at the station, it's not free. You, right, have you have to, to pay. You yeah. have to pay. Like 10 bucks L- luckily, though, the agency that I went with, you don't have to pay. 
So that was actually one of the other reasons why I decided, uh, apart from the experiment, mm. that I wanted you know check it out because I was like, hey, look, it's I don't have to pay anything extra. No, just right four hours of your life you know, exactly. that you never get back. Yeah, which that was the really aggravating part. But yeah. okay, okay, going and going back to to the whole. So thing. four hours of your life is so, only worth what forty bucks. You only worth ten dollars an hour. You're way worth. Well, it's more. funny. It's funny you mentioned that because it was about forty dollars mm-hmm. to recharge the vehicle for the whole trip. Yeah. That's roughly about, actually, I've actually spent less on a gas vehicle. On Prius. On a Prius. Yeah. As an example, on a Prius. To make that trip. To make that trip. Maybe even less. So the fact is that how it's, uh, it's just like mind blown. The fact that it's like, you think that you're getting um, a better deal, I guess you Mm -hmm. can say. Where you could, you know, not have to spend so much. Right. It, well, it, it, it was only because of the fact of the perk of through the agency to be able to have uh, rent this vehicle and mm-hmm. avoid having to pay those costs that made it worthwhile. But the fact is that if you're going to road trip this, I mean, how do you argue against just going with a regular gas powered vehicle or and, hybrid or hybrid and, or, or hybrid? And not only do you perhaps potentially save money compared to an, an EV. You save children but in the Congo. Because oh, okay. now these children aren't slaves. Yes, Tim, you made your point. Uh, but most importantly, and one of the biggest um, important things that you mean to me is time. Yeah. You save yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I was just, just in disbelief. The fact that it, every time it was about, and I, I took photos. I'm not. I took I, photos. I, I could have told you that was going to happen. I got receipts. <laughs> I could have told you that was going to happen. You know, I, I'm going to go ahead and just pull this up right fast because may, many people may think like, oh, no, 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 that just makes no no sense. I have receipts. First time, 1156. All right. Second time, uh, 1224. Okay, so it's 23, $24. Hang on. Hang on. Actually, I was a little off, but that's okay. Uh, I'm gonna go back another time. Eleven ninety. Okay, so you had thirty five. Six seventy five. Okay, forty one. I think that's it. Well, it's like forty one, forty two dollars. Okay, yeah. Wow. Well, well, there you have it. EV. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you uh, enjoy the show. We want to th- also uh, give another shout out and thanks to Ryan Acevedo for coming on board, uh, spending some time with us. And uh, hopefully we ha- will have uh, a guest lined up for the next episode, mm-hmm. which should be interesting because if it happens, then it'll really uh, clear the picture, uh, uh, make it more interesting with what's going to happen with the series because it, it looks pretty promising. Mm-hmm. It, it, Paul's already sold on the no qualifying part mm-hmm. of it. Yep. So like let's it. see what else they could sell us on. Yep. Let's see. Definitely. So again, folks, thank you for tuning in and uh, we hope to catch you next time. In the meantime, uh, take care and good night. One, two, three.